We're gonna skate to one song, one song only. Yo, 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 welcome back, welcome back to the Sandbox Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well, everybody's caught up on all the podcasts that we dropped so far. Um, today, we have a special guest. I don't know about special. Oh, I mean, you're a special <laughs> guest, man. You're a special guest. Uh, actually, our first guest. So, oh, shit. I'm really yeah. appreciative of that. Yo, I've been, uh, you know, not to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I've been the first guest on a lot of people's podcasts. I mm-hmm. take pride in that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I appreciate, appreciate it, it man. Uh, so that voice you hear is Chad from the TRPE podcast, the realest podcast ever. Uh, one of the most popping, most lit, most substantial podcasts throughout the city, tri-state area, uh, possibly the rest of the world. I believe so. So, Appreciate uh, clap it up for that. Clap it up for that. Uh, you know, got the rugged guys. Money, what's up, bro? Yo, yo, what's up, Yus? How you feeling, bro? Chilling, chilling, chilling. Uh, man, man. What's up, man? What's going on? Chilling, bro. All right, so we got a guest here today because I guess it's our, our inspiration, right? Yeah, as far right. as me and you go, you, you, you can say that. Uh, we've been we real big fans of. I'm a uh, big fan. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, big fan of TRP for a while now. I put you on, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you put, I put me you on to it. Yeah, I'm a newer fan. I just started listening, but like, I went to like the latest podcast. Went to your first episode. Okay. From day one, y'all had it. Yeah. Thank you. From day one, like yo, because we didn't know what the hell we was doing. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded good. I couldn't <laughs> to, tell. To, to be all the way honest, man, we really didn't know what we was doing in the beginning. We was just trying to find an outlet to take, um, you know, these conversations that we was having, you know, amongst ourselves as men, me, Matt, and Ra, because uh-huh. uh, Ra was originally supposed to be the third mic um, for the show. Um, but we was just basically trying to find an outlet to take these conversations that we was having because we felt like just based on what we were seeing on social media and other like little internet radio shows and stuff like that our opinion wasn't necessarily being represented and we felt like we could we had alternative opinions to a lot of people but we yeah. could defend them so we just wanted right. to go ahead and just find a way to talk about the things that we wanted to talk about and you know throw our thought processes out there yeah that's uh that's i think that's what drew me into you guys because y'all were very informative and y'all knew what the fuck y'all was talking about right. y'all can back up you know y'all arguments just like that a lot, a lot of people just say show on the mic and then don't know what the fuck they talking about can't defend their argument, this be saying shit. So that's what definitely what drew me in with you guys. Like y'all knew what y'all was talking about. And y'all was funny. And y'all was funny. Y'all was entertaining, mm-hmm. like funny and mm-hmm. relatable. Like I feel like I got, I got a piece of you and you know Matt. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. a, a yang and a yang. It was a lot of a lot of information and a lot of ignorance at the same time too. Yeah. So it was like <laughs> it, was a, it was a great balance. As my man, uh, you know, uh, Rich say Philly the boss, sophisticated uh, ignorance. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good line right there. <laughs> yeah. So. Ignorance. So um. I kind of want to get into your origin story of, you know, the very beginning. Okay. How you met Matt and then how you guys started the podcast. Okay. Uh, well, me and Matt uh, just kind of knew each other from uh, from social media, you know, at large. Uh, Matt is a little bit younger than me, not a lot. He be trying to act like I'm an old nigga. Uh, but he's, like, a little bit younger than me, like a year and a half younger than me. Like, his birthday is, like, right in the same month as my brother. So it's the same sort of year and a half okay. uh, difference that me and my oldest brother got. Um, and we just kind of met from social media. Um, and we was, you know, in that black Twitter space where, you know, Twitter was very, very unruly and uncouth, yeah. and you could just like say the most ridiculous shit. It was basically the attitude era. Exactly. 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 It was the attitude era of Twitter, and basically nobody 
could or would like check you on the things that you would say. Like the more mm-hmm. outlandish, the more of like a following you got. Exactly. And essentially, like you know, I became like a black Twitter all star and got in with guys like officially Ice and Nerd mm-hmm. at the Cool Table and yeah. uh, when Fab was on Twitter yeah. and like all of that shit. Like literally, like that attitude era was like every day at a certain time I'll come on the timeline, start a trending topic, whatever, and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. people would um you know come on and participate in things like that. And me and Matt just over time kind of like formed a, a, a kinship and a friendship. He had his friend group. I had mine. Um, and then it came to a point where we were both living in the same neighborhood. And that's mm-hmm. when we really got cool. We was both living in Roxborough. Um, and, uh, you know, he would just call me like, yo, pull up. I'm at the crib. Da, 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 da. And we would just chop it and just talk. And, you know, we really became like really, really good friends um, at that time period. And then from there, uh, you know, he just kind of he was he's very standoffish even to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's trying. Yeah. I'm trying to like loosen him up a little bit. Yeah, I try to. I try to, I try to talk to him a few times. He like, just right me, on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, like a grizzly bear. Yeah, so it's like that sort of thing. But it's like, you know, he took, you know, we, we took a liking to each other. And, um, you know, over time, you know, his friend group kind of dissipated. My friend group kind of dissipated. And I found myself talking to him and Ra and then people like Pastor Carl and stuff like that more than I was talking to, like, you know, some of my other friends because right. my interests started to shift, you yeah. know, as I got older. And I found that, you know, really we was on the same page and a lot of stuff as far as life goes, as far as like trying to better our lives. And you know, do cool shit, and um, you know, from that, I could basically had the idea to like, let's do a podcast. Okay. And at the time, the only real podcast that was out there was like uh, Peter Rosenberg and Cypher Sounds. Um, they had the Wanda podcast. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan was already out there. Already was there. Yeah. Already was there. Um, you know, but then you had like uh, Opie and Anthony, which I'm not sure if y'all familiar yeah, with. Yeah, them. I heard of them. They were, you know, they've been syndicated in every market in the United States at some point or another, but they always get fired because exactly. they always push the envelope yeah. and go too far. Just do no, yeah. just do the craziest shit. Ever. And if you look back on all of those episodes, a lot of what they were doing is like the modern day blueprint for a podcast, exactly. where it's like it's no format, it's pranks. Like they would mobilize people to go like. Yo, go to so and so's office with a sign that says this guy's dick is small, like crazy, <laughs> like the craziest yeah, shit ever. Like, and they would get like banged by the FCC and their radio station, and like law enforcement got involved in like a couple of their pranks and shit like that. But they were pushing the envelope, mm. and then they had, um, you know, rest in peace, Patrice O'Neill on the yeah. show, um, who is basically the blueprint for this modern-day manosphere and a lot of this manosphere content and all of that mm-hmm. that exists out there. They had him on there, like, weekly for a segment, mm-hmm. and he got so popular, he just basically became part of the show. Exactly. In addition mm-hmm. to being, you know, one of the greatest, you know, nightclub stand-up comedians of all time, mm-hmm. he became, like, a, a mainstay on this radio show. And um, it just blew him, like, the fuck up to the point where he ended up getting a show with VH1, the Web Junk show, and, like, yeah, I remember all this all different stuff. All from like Opie and Anthony, but essentially shows like them, Howard Stern, stuff like that. They would pull pranks on Howard like crazy shit. They were like the modern day uh, podcast as far as like they would just show up in his talk radio. And we're talking about like, did Abraham Lincoln get a lot of pussy today? Like the craziest, (laughs) most like like anything, like Mm -hmm. the most outlandish shit ever. And it worked every fucking time. And it's like, I still go back to those episodes now because like, Opie and Anthony Cumier were so fucking good, yeah. man. Like, just draw, taking the smallest, like, little minuscule thought 
and just expanding the shit out of it and doing like a four hour show about it. Like yeah. just the craziest shit ever. And it's like, it's a skill um, to what they did. And a lot of that, um, you know, kind of goes into what we do with our show because it's just as far as like, being able to, especially on like our Patreon and stuff, being able to just take like little nuggets and stuff and mm. just drill all the way, drill down mm. on it and expand it and make like a bigger conversation out of something that most people are overlooked. Exactly. I can say that's something y'all good at. Y'all really dissect things y'all go into on the Patreon. And yeah. that's why I pay that fee every month too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I get my money's worth. Thank yeah, you. I definitely pay that dub. Yeah. Gracefully. Great. Like, yeah. I definitely pay that dub. Um, so, what about te- text on? Uh, no, Taxstone was absolute. I kind of jumped over Taxstone because he literally, like, right as I had the thought to do the podcast, he mm. started his. Mm. So, like, originally, like, we started our podcast January 2017, but I was trying to start it from July of 2016. Okay. So right around that same time, Taxstone started his podcast, and Tax was a huge inspiration for me in particular because yeah. it cemented, like, that I could do this shit. Yeah, like, exactly. like, yo, like, right. He's, he's me. Like, yeah, he's yeah. just a crazy nigga on Twitter with an opinion, like, yeah. that people hate. <laughs> like, yeah, everybody hated yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. everybody hated him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the people that loved him, loved him. And I'm like, yo, that's me. Like, you know what I'm saying? The people that know me, love me. They know I'm a loyal guy. I'm cool. I got cool perspectives on yeah. shit, stuff like that. But I'm a fucking You're jerk. Asshole. I'm yeah. an asshole. Yeah. I was talking to Black last night, and I said, you, nerd, and Black, like, y'all are villains on Twitter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've learned. I've had my page deleted enough over the years that I've learned to turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. They just don't care. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they just, just don't give a fuck. They just don't care. Like and like, they're so smart. Um, and that's like something that I don't necessarily know that they get a lot of credit for. Nerd and Black are so smart that they like throw like shit like at people that's mm. like real underlying, real like insulting. Yeah. And they be responding like they said some cool shit. I'm like, yo, you're being insulting. Yeah. Like, like they, they don't even know. They don't, they don't even know. They don't even and they don't even peek. Like, they walk themselves into, like, super stupid shit all the time. And then it'd be like, oh, so what you're saying is, and then they hit you with the with the punch and exactly. just fuck you up. Like, and you look crazy. They do it all the time. I, that, that's the one thing, I, like, the kicker with Twitter. Like, y'all really are smart dumbasses. Like, I, <laughs> I never understood why y'all like that. Like, I feel like they be popping on Twitter. You got to have some kind of intellect. You have to yeah. some kind of intellect. You can't be like it can't be all stupid yeah, shit. Exactly. It can't. It can't. You have to have. You have at some point. You're going to be called to the carpet and have to defend some outlandish shit that mm-hmm. you said. And so. if you can't, that's that moment where everybody's like, "Oh, I don't gotta listen to this exactly. dickhead no more." I don't care how many followers yeah. I, I don't have to listen to this dickhead. And on no Twitter, more. it's not you just you know yelling and speaking with passion. You got to have actual facts to back up what exactly. that you're saying. There's a meme that floats every time somebody trends negatively. There's a meme that floats around Twitter that say every day there's a main character of Twitter. The goal is to not be that. Main not be that. <laughs> exactly, because it's usually bad. Like ninety percent of the time, ninety nine percent of the yeah. time is bad when you're the main character. Of Twitter. It's terrible. All right, I feel you on that. So, so yeah, taxes, taxes, the fucking man. Free, okay. free tax. Man. Yeah, free tax. Um, that definitely was like one of my main inspirations. Tax. Uh, Charlemagne, yeah. and then TRP, like yeah, like I go back and forth on Charlemagne. Charlemagne is a brilliant journalist. Um, he doesn't get credit for how good of a journalist he is, yeah. as far as like researching and coming up with good ass questions. And like you see his one on one interviews is fucking masterful. Yeah. Um, but like the, the almost like the dynamic of him and Schultz. And Schultz is fantastic too yeah. on his own, but like the dynamic of like them two together, I hate it. Like I think it's just I think it's a bad product. Like it used to be good. Really, I think it's a bad product now. I can't see how I'll grow in the show. 
Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of not what it used to be. It's not there because it's almost like two guys that are so hyper successful forcing themselves to come and do this show because it's ad money on the line. It's not natural it, no more. It's not natural it's at kill, all. It killed the natural passion for okay. your podcast. Yeah, it's it's they 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 smoked it because they both got too successful yeah. at a point where you both need each other. It's easy to come and do something and be locked and loaded because this is all you doing. But the kiss of death for that show is once Charlemagne started doing one on one content. And you see, like, oh, what you do here is not what you do in your podcast or doing the Breakfast Club. It ruined all his other avenues because it's just like you dumbing yourself down to do this other shit to appease an audience you don't even care about. He doesn't gotcha. care about the hip hop music buying audience yeah. at all, and it comes out in every show where it's like they got to talk to somebody that's not forty four years old. Yeah. Right, like, like that Corley Ray interview was so crazy. That shit was so crazy. It's like, bro. why are you here? Yeah. Why are you here? Like, and, and the pro- the problem I have with the Breakfast Club is that they don't acknowledge that they've aged out of their job. Like, mm-hmm. they're doing the same shit that they accuse Funk Flex of. Y'all are doing the yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah, right. You, you're right. Envy's fifty. Angela Yee's fifty. Charlemagne's forty six. Uh-huh. Y'all talking to teenagers? Yeah. What are <laughs> we doing? Twenty one, twenty two. Twenty one, twenty two. What are we doing here? Like, this is stupid. Like, y'all, y'all, and same thing with the Hot ninety sevens morning show. Ebro's 50, Rosenberg's 45, Laura Styles is 38. Like, yeah. y'all don't get to tell these kids what's cool. Y'all don't even go outside. Yeah. My thing is, they <laughs> have these younger protégés. Why not put them in position? They're not going to do it because it's too much money on the line. Like, like MS Communications is such a big deal. Um, you know, in New York, they have Hot 97 and, 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 and Kiss. That's all they need. Yeah. Like, because it's like people, they still have so many people that uh, – Catch a train to work, stuff like that. And then now with like, you know, radio apps and stuff like that, they still have a crazy listener base on radio, but it's only certain cities like like New York, like LA. But the same problem exists everywhere. Big boy is seventy five yeah. years old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. joking, but No, he's he's, he's definitely up he's there. Up yeah. Like Big Boy been We saw him go big from from little, like Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like all of these different things that exist to where it's just like, I know there's some cool, young, smart motherfucker that works, if not directly under you, you see him all the time. Yeah. They're not even grooming nobody to fucking come Stop and up. take their spot next because, like, y'all all got 45-year contracts. Like, mm. y'all got lifetime <laughs> contracts yeah. to do some shit that is not interesting. Like, y'all web, like, if the Breakfast Club is not doing an interview, nobody cares. At all. At all. That's true. At all. Y'all not doing an interview with a popping artist? Nobody. And y'all interview everybody because y'all are the only only one. Y'all only outlet. Y'all the only uh, morning, uh, you know, urban radio outlet that exists that feeds that, I don't know how, but, you know, 15 to 55 or whatever the fuck demographic. Like, it's like that sort of thing. And then Big Boy on the West Coast, same thing. But his even his web uh, content doesn't connect in the same way theirs is. But it doesn't matter because he makes $10 million. Yeah, a year. he already paid. He gives a good. shit. Good. I don't care if y'all watch this YouTube video. I don't even get none of that money. Yeah, exactly. This is shit. And the West Coast is like its own little world. It's just like, everything. You go to, I, I go to West Coast a lot. Like, I get in, a, I get in a, a car, rental car, whatever. I cut. The first thing I do is cut the radio on. I hear 15 songs. You don't hear Becky's mm-hmm. like they have their own playlisting everything yeah. like they don't even follow the national playlist for me Yeah, that's why I was in Atlanta last time I've been there and I turned the radio on it was right. a thousand Burber ass niggas I never heard of ever in life, but <laughs> the shit was good. It was great fucking music and I'm just like damn bro. Why we never hear this shit out here? Um, so I kind of went off on a tangent and I apologize but, no, but, I, good, but the point good, that yeah. I was getting to is more so like you know while certain people have elite skill sets Charlamagne has elite skill set uh-huh. Andrew Schultz as a comedian and as a podcast what he does on Flagrant 2 
is amazing. Like he's one of the best in the business. Yeah. And people don't necessarily give him that credit, but his following is so strong, like you have to pay attention to him. Mm. But when they come together, is it's bad. Like and you can tell they just here for the bad. It's like saying. we got money on the line, we in here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's the only reason why we here. Um uh but as far as like people like Taxstone though, like people don't know. Taxstone was the one that told Nori you should do a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the episode too when he interviewed him. Yeah, you had the tax stone and Joe Button head to head fucking battle. That was hilarious. I watched yeah. that the other day. Really? It's like yeah, you have yeah. like these this classic content that's yeah. like out there to where it's like and we don't even realize like Tax Stone wasn't around that long. He did his podcast for like, like two years? Probably less than that. Less right? than two years. Probably like a year and a half, yeah. maybe. But he, like he had the uh he was he was out long enough to like beef with Meek, make up with Meek. Mm-hmm. Beef with Joe Button, make up with Joe Button. Beef with him again, <laughs> make yeah. up with him again. Uh, shoot Troy Av. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like he was, uh, he, he did a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, the Beanie Siegel interview that was epic. Yeah, one of the most legendary, one of the most legendary interviews yeah. ever. Uh, you know, before and then he came right back after like after the, the powerhouse yeah. shit and mm-hmm. all that crazy shit. So it's like motherfuckers got classic like content, man, mm-hmm. on the uh, you know, on the internet. And once he got that Jay Z uh, do say Rock Nation stand, it was, over. It was a rap. Right. Yeah, like, it was over. It's like why are you not talking? To me? Why not talk to me? Yeah. Like, all right, so I want to come back to you know the origin story. Um, so you say you met Matt, got cool with Matt. Um, how did the presentation to Matt come along as far as starting a podcast? Uh, well, it was originally it was me, Matt, and Ra. I, I never want to leave Ra out because Ra is a very important figure in um, TRP history. Like, he did our first logo, he did like our first live show flyer, mm-hmm. like all of that shit. But Ra was just in a different mode. Like, Ra had the presence of mind to know, like, I'm going all in on the sports betting shit. He left DJing, he was working at Rock Nation at the time. He left Rock Nation and was like, yo, I'm going. All he was on digital marketing for Rock Nation. He said, "I'm going all in on this, like on the sports betting shit." Right. Motherfucker went back to all his Wharton uh, stuff, created a fucking sports betting model and all of that shit, and now he's one of the top handicappers in the country. So he knew what his purpose was and what he was trying to accomplish. So he was basically like, "Yo, I think y'all two are magic together. I'm gonna get out of y'all way. Whenever y'all need me to come on the show, whatever, whatever, I'll do it." But uh, you know. I can't commit to like, you know, doing a podcast every week or whatever the frequency is. I can't do it. Uh, So then, you you know, you left me and Matt. And at the time, Matt was like, you know, like the people that he talks about now as far as like them SEPTA lifers and all of that old shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm working his overtime and all that. That was him. Like he was one of those people where Mm -hmm. it's just like, yo, like I got unlimited overtime. I'm already making good money on this, 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 and this. I don't see a world where I can find myself trying to pour into something else but i'm just like nah you got a gift like and i think the combination of us together with my structure your humor us you know the conversations that we already have in our perspective and shit people want to care about it and then we you know we ended up getting together and uh was trying to like find somewhere to record because at the time summer 2016 it ain't really no podcast studios in philly philly's always like the last to know some shit like philly is like the niggas of uh like metropolitan areas like we always the last ones like to know some shit going going shake or whatever so it's like it was no podcast studios you had all the music studios in the world like yeah. you could go you want to cut a mixtape this a nigga grandma whatever yeah. you could you, uh, yeah. factory yeah. back cave studio unlimited studio poppy store studio ain't matter everybody had a studio i remember that all kind of shit so it's like you know you could get a studio easily but you can't get a podcast studio so yeah. that was our thing so somebody that i went to high school with a girl named nicole purvey um she 
basically was doing her own like a business podcast or whatever and she connected with justin emery who's the pod father justin emery is an important figure in the history of trpe because that was the first network that we paired with and he was somebody that was like yo this is the best show i ever heard yeah. and like i don't know how the fuck y'all came up with this shit but like this is phenomenal and he got behind it mm. and from day one he was like finding opportunities for us like he would get us like little goofy local business sponsorships and shit so and so's bringing a hoagie tray and 200 bucks and, like, <laughs> just all this shit like he really really like believed in the show and he would come early for us he would stay late and stuff like that and i just saw he wouldn't do that for like you know other shows or whatever and he really like hitched his wagon to us and all the information that he had he poured into me and he never at no point held no information back he never hesitated to pass no plugs none of that shit and that was really incredible encouraging because it was like damn all right so now like we got a benefactor like somebody that's outside of our you know our friends and family that believe in the show we could really do some shit with this and from that you know we was able to do a lot in a short amount of time and you know we had all these various you know ideas like our first show was basically called fuck 2016 talking about all the crazy shit that happened like you know yeah. the year before and politics and this and this so the groundwork was already laid from our first show to like what the show has kind of like become now where we do a lot of political commentary we do a lot of uh you know economic outlook and putting people on the trends and stuff like that mm -hmm. before it happened um you know, but then it was just more so like just straight like entertaining. Then you had like an episode like Migos for President that went viral that probably has yeah. like close to a million downloads today. Um, so it's like stuff like that that, you know, helped us create like this following of an audience in like the Netherlands and like mm. South Africa and stuff like that, like places we've never been yeah. before. Um, and it was just really cool. And it's basically like all the information that Justin had, he would just give, he would just share. Oh, cause well, I did this and blah, blah, blah. And then we're, your show debuts on this day, but then we do a rebroadcast or a stream on the website. And then that coincides with drive time in the Netherlands. So people over there are picking this up because mm. of our, our geo tagging and SEO and all this shit. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Not to cut you off, but to cut you off. Cause remember, I had, remember that first time I called you, yeah. I was like, we got listeners here, here, here. And I'm just like, how the fuck are they getting yeah. a hold of this shit? Well, a lot of it is, you know, you have people that are actively looking for new podcasts mm. to listen to. Like, you got people that, you know, um, scour the internet and these podcast mm. apps and stuff like that to find new shows. And it's mm. like, they'll give you a shot. And if they like what they hear, they stay. They'll yeah. tell people about it. Then next thing you know, you might have, you know, a bunch of people listening to you in Afghanistan. And you're like, how? Because it's an army base in Afghanistan and it might be 45 troops or something like that yeah. that's listening to your podcast next thing you know you got a base of people over there you know what I'm saying uh -huh. so it's like it's like that sort of thing so like for us we got a big uh, following in Qatar in the United Arab Emirates because our homie Jules is a defense contractor in the UAE mm -hmm. so he didn't put everybody that he worked with all Americans the people from from Qatar and all that shit he put them onto the show now it's like just a part of their week to week day to day routine they listen to TRPE uh, to the point where we're we're going to uh, to the World Cup in November in, in Qatar to do content. We're going to try to interview some of the players and, yeah. like, oh, all that crazy, crazy, like, shit fire. like that. You know what I'm saying? But that foundation was laid by somebody that's just, like, a friend of ours and an advocate, you know what I'm saying, of the yeah. show. So you, you find uh, listeners in obscure places a lot of different ways. A lot of times it's just naturally just organic. Just putting the product out is enough. People will find the shit. Yeah. All right. Um... Oh, one more question. <laughs> Whatever happened to that social media episode? Listen. I'm sick. Yeah. I ain't get to hear it. And I heard about that episode yeah, from a few bro. people, bro. There's, so, I'll get it to you. Because a friend of mine, my man Yizzo, 
he has it on. He has every TRP episode on an SD card. So when they needed, and when they immediately dropped, he would download them and then put them on SD card. So he has it, even though we don't. <laughs> yeah. So that episode basically was like five hours of like a drunk mess of me, Matt, Ao, and Nerd, and Nerd's homies too, because he had like an entourage with him or whatever. Was Molly there? I think Molly might have. I don't. If he was, I don't remember him. Okay. But I, he might have been there. But um, like uh. Uh, Rocky was there. Like, it was just a bunch of people. Like, I just remember Nerd having, like, a bunch of people with him, mm-hmm. like, four or five people. And we was drink. Me and Ayo was in the car. This is this going to sound bad. I don't do this no more. We was drinking tequila in the car on the on way, the way there. there. Oh, no. So when we showed up, we was drinking 1800. We was oh, smacked. Drawing. So when we got there, it was just, like, a drunk mess. But it's, like, one of those, like, moments where it's mm-hmm. just, like, this is the craziest shit ever. And... People liked it, like, and I'm just yeah. like, this is so bad. Like, I can't listen, I can't hear it. Like, it's so bad because we just drunk rambling for five hours, and it ended up being two parts because it got so long. We released it in two parts, yeah. and uh, you know, the first part I think is still on the internet, or the second part is still whatever. It's whatever it is, one or the other parts is not there, mm. and I think whatever part is up, the file is corrupted. <laughs> like, oh, so I may need, I got to get that info from Yizo and. Uh, re-upload that now in 2022 and see what people think about it. I'm going to upload it in its entirety. One piece, five hours. And okay. See, and see what people uh, say. But it, it just was a drunk mess. We talked about everything. Like, all of them, like, $200. All the dumb... The dumb Twitter so shit. shit. We talked about all of it. Like, $200 dates. Yeah. If I pay all the bills, I ain't being faithful. It's just a dumbass yeah. shit. Like, it's, just, it's, just a, it's stupid. But it worked. Like, people like that shit, man. Yeah. All right, so now at this point, you and Matt are, you know, on the boat. The boat is, the boat is moving. But after a while, y'all have these high like, hiatus. Mm-hmm. What brought you back? I know at one point, y'all was like, oh, I'm not doing this no yeah, more. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally did two or three shows uh, without Matt. Like, we went, like, we went so long without uploading the episode that our feed went dormant. Mm. And we basically fucked ourselves in the process because, like, once your feed goes dormant, you basically got to re-add people back to your RSS feed. So our feed went dormant because, you know, it's it's on auto-upload or whatever the case may be. So where it's like, you know, if you look in Apple, it tells you, like, weekly show, blah, 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 typically Mm. uploads on this day. Like, there's there's, uh, like geotagging and information that gets extracted from your frequency. So we didn't do a show for so long. Our feed went dormant to where I had to reissue the RSS feed to all of the pod directories. That's literally starting from zero. And um, at that point, I was just like, all right, cool. Me and Justin, again, I, I, I appreciate Justin so much because he literally went with me, like sat with me, and over the phone and in person, and we took every single episode that was on just regular, uh, the regular audio platforms and all of that, uploaded it to YouTube, fucking ran fucking streaming farms on the fucking YouTube Jones to get it to the monetization level and all of this and blah, blah, blah. We was basically going to transition TRPE to like an interview show. Like that was going to, or like a collaboration show. Me as the main host, and we was going to have different guests every single week. I know all the rappers. I know all the business owners, all that shit. We just going to transition it to that. I did a show with Pastor Carl that was about whatever, you know, whatever was going on at the time. And I did a show with Dope Shows. So I did two shows without that, Matt. Yeah. And then randomly, Matt had hit me and was like, yo, uh, what's up with the podcast? I'm like, what the fuck do you mean what's up with the podcast? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I told you, if you are out, 
that don't have nothing to do with me. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? And then basically, I guess he got tired of people hitting him up. Like, yo, you know, Chad put out two episodes of podcast without you, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then we ended up coming together as men, had a, you know, had a heart to heart, had a real talk. And was just basically like, yo, I understand your frustration and the fact that like this shit is like a labor of love. The plan that we have to implement now is how do we make money off of this shit? But I need your buy-in. I know how to make money in any business, mm -hmm. but I need your buy-in. So this is what we need to do. We basically got to set it up to where we went back. We went to the network. We was still at Wildfire at the time. They was over in South Jersey. They just went under. Um, shout out to that because they were fucking assholes. Uh, but we uh, we went back to Wildfire. It was basically like, yo, we are one of the top two or three shows on your network. Um, outside of like 4th and John, which was like an Eagles-driven show that was sponsored by CBS Media, I said, we have no sponsorship. How is that? I said, when the off Eagles offseason takes place, there's no action. There's nobody listening to 4th and John. But guess what they listening to? TRPE. Yeah. I said, so how is it that we could be putting up these crazy-ass numbers, um, you know, high-five, six-figure downloads a month or whatever, but we don't have no sponsorship? If y'all don't, give us any sponsorship we're out of here all of a sudden sponsorship just started appearing like out of nowhere so now we started to make money um but again after a while we realized like their payment schedule was just completely like off or whatever so i'm like all right we gotta bring like our own stuff to the table so then we started soliciting you know doing interviews doing pay making people pay for interviews and shit getting our own sponsorships and stuff like that to where it's like we at least got it to where the show was at a break-even point and then we got the the, the partnership with uh kicks usa when they, before they changed over to uh snipes mm -hmm. we had got a partnership with kicks usa my man will warren shout out to him he works for meta now um in in new york and um you know he would pay us for like drops or this release or whatever the case may be um he paid us to do like a sneaker episode whatever where we had like a round table with like yeah. a bunch of different sneaker heads and people called in and like shit like that to where it's like all right now like we're starting to like pull business out of this thing and then <clears throat> basically uh i want to say like august of 2019 i took back all of um, our controls, meaning like our RSS feed, we had control of it now. It wasn't under the network. Um, our uh, advertising account, AdvertiseCast, we took back control of that to where it's like, all right, now I'm hands-on with every aspect of this business to where if it's money coming through here, it's coming to me and not to y'all. Because what Wildfire was doing is, say if we had an $800 buy for an advertising spot for two, for two shows, they would snatch 50%. Off the rip, and then pay us the remaining fifty, and then make us wait like sixty to ninety days to get paid out. Wow, oh, that's nah, crazy. That's no see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you see why I'm celebrating their demise? Like, right, right, yeah. Like, Understandable. Yeah, real yeah. fucking assholes. Yeah. Like, and on top of that, we were paying like sixty dollars, or uh, no, we originally were paying sixty. We were paying one hundred and twenty dollars an hour to record with no video, record. with no video. So y'all snatching half my ad money. I'm paying you one hundred and twenty dollars an hour to record, so two hundred and forty dollars a show, mm. and I'm literally like getting nothing in return. I'm getting fifty percent of. Ad, ad revenue that is specific for our show these these people these companies are asking to go on our show it's not yeah. like y'all doing nothing yeah. in particular y'all just put us on the on the medium and just say hey we got this show they do this this is and the third blah 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 and they selected us so y'all didn't do nothing but just 
just pair us with the middleman. Middle yeah. Y'all took 50% for that. So we had another one, Beach Body on Demand. Same thing. That was like a $4,000 campaign. So literally, thanks to my paying you $4,000 to advertise to be on your show, mm. and the network is snatching half and still charging you $120 an hour to record. Like, that's the behind the scenes shit that people don't know that, mm. like, we really went through and trying to, like, cement this because we were still doing this at a time where. Podcasting was starting to get more popular, but it ain't like it is now. Like yeah. it ain't like you know, like the boom in twenty twenty with the pandemic, where everybody, everybody started the podcast. Yeah. Like we, so we were dealing with like real deal like issues and shit. Eight twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, like you know, with these various companies and stuff like that. And um, you know, after a while, it was just like, yeah, we just need to have control over everything. Yeah. And then once we did that, um. We left Wildfire, went to Last Out, which they just went under also. We <laughs> went to Last Out. And, um, you know, but again, we maintained all our controls, our RSS feed, our advertising account. We did our own bookings, this, this, that, and the third. So it's like we using y'all for a recording arm, but that's it. Like everything else is like autonomous to us. And when we was in control and doing it, like it just became way better. And then we had the, I, I had the idea to start a Patreon probably in 2018 or 19. I just knew people wasn't ready for it yet. I'm just yeah. like, yo, we're not consistent enough. We're not giving people enough content to where they'll pay for additional content. We got to, we got to develop this a little bit more. And we did. And then, um, you know, we was able to start a Patreon. Our first month, I think we uh, onboarded like 140 people. Second month, like another 140. And to mm. where now, like, we're right around 500. Um, so it's like stuff like that. And then at that point, it's like once you start having that. And then we did our uh, third anniversary live show to where mm. it's like now it's money flowing through this yeah. organization, it makes it real easy to do what you want to do because now it's not a labor of love. You're not having to go in your pocket to give up bread in order to make this thing happen. It's not a hobby no more. It's a business. Okay. And then once we found the business in it and start making money, we pretty much never look back. Okay. Uh, I want to go back a little bit. Um, Sean Cotton, are you, are you like close friends with him? or? Um, I'm pretty good friends with Sean. Um, I have his phone number. He has mine. Um, he constantly asks about me whenever he comes to Philly and stuff like that. But the connection with Sean Cotton mm. is through his cousin, Twani. Okay. Um, he's like a, a, you know, a big supporter of TRPE. That's a real good friend of mine. And, um, you know, he saw that just organically. I was I was follow, I was following Say Cheese early because they did uh, one of the first Quilly interviews. They did it at my man's studio at On Deck Studios in Germantown. And I'm looking, I'm like, yo, that's a studio I'll be at every day, whatever mm. the case may be. So I saw that and it made me take a liking to it or whatever. And I seen the content and what they was trying to do and it was highlighting like pretty much Philly, Chicago and Dallas artists and I just organically was following them and just sharing the content and stuff like that and then we made the connection and then Twani hit me and was like yo you know like the boy that owns Say Cheese like that's my cousin like he from West Philly blah 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 mm -hmm. like I'm gonna connect y'all so he came on the show early like yeah. Sean came on the show like super early um, and we did a good show then and then you know he came back around um, last year and did another show for us or whatever the case may be but he's basically somebody that's like an advocate for our show. And, uh, you know, he's extremely busy. He got a weed farm. He just started a record label. He got all this different stuff going on. But whenever I reach out to him and I need him, like, he be he's he makes himself available. He ain't never tried to charge me nothing. He didn't gave me a ton of free game as far as, you know, being in the media game and all of that stuff we should do as far as, like, cutting up clips for the show. Like, he's given me, like, a lot of game and been, like, a genuine uh, advocate for TRP. Okay. And then... Go ahead, money, my bad. Oh, you go. I was gonna say that's good shit. Um, around the time you started the podcast, you was into uh, party promoting, right? Yeah, I did. I was a. Pretty, was I was pretty much a party promoter for like ten or twelve years straight. Um, so I want to say from maybe two thousand and 
probably nine to 2011. So probably like 11, no, 2020. So like 11 years or whatever. I did party promoting. Like, um, you know, I've, uh, you know, done the hood spots. I did the bougie spots. I did the strip clubs. I was the marketing director of Vanity Grand for like a two year period. Um, between, uh, I want to say December, November, 2017. And when it ended up ultimately closing, um, in like April of uh, 2019, so I, I did. I ran the social media first, then I ended up getting a promotion when somebody who shall remain nameless got fired. Uh, but I ended up, uh, you know, getting the marketing director job or whatever like that. And uh, you know, I would sit with the owner every week. We would have these marketing meetings or whatever, and we would just map out like the calendar and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm I'm the first person in Philly to ever book little baby. I'm like one of the f- one of the first people to ever book. Um, 42 Doug? I'm the first person to book 42 Doug, bar none. Um, First person to book The Baby, me and my man Veli, who's actually our tour manager for the uh, podcast tour. We did uh, The Baby at uh, the TLA in Philly, um, April of 2019, right when uh, Suge came out. Uh, We did that show. That was a sold-out show. Um, You know, pretty much you you name them, we've booked them. Uh, Puff. Uh, pretty much everybody except Jay Z. Future, like we we booked any and everybody. Um, you know, between Vanity Grand, um, then we had the bar after midnight in West Philly, Fifty Third and Market. Um, we did a bunch of bookings there. We had YG come through there, uh, when he was uh in the area for like a Lincoln tour stop. Um, Dean from Dream Chaser, shout out my man, uh, Solid Dean. He had brought YG through to uh through after midnight and shit like that. Like so, you know, we was just so enthralled. Me and my partner that I was doing parties with at the time, we were just so enthralled in doing parties that we started getting a lot of like free stuff like thrown at us or whatever the case may be um and then eventually we ended up going our separate ways for a number of different reasons but um you know the party promoting game was good to me i didn't particularly love it but i made a lot of money because i knew what i was doing and i understood the strategy um and my thing was once i started like kind of taking um my business acumen of what I was doing at some of these like bougie spots. Now, p- people that do party remotely know the bougie shit does not make no bread. Like it don't make no money. Mm-hmm. Like they're not buying fifteen bottles and all that stupid shit. They not oh how much to get in? I'm paying for everybody and cutting. They're not doing that shit. But in the hoods, motherfuckers throw. They have a negative relationship with money. Mm-hmm. They throw their fucking money away. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I started doing like you know all of this shit in the hood spots and all of that shit and the strip clubs and all that, that's when I really like started to make a bag. Like yeah, that was a weird transition because I remember at one point the thing to do was go downtown yeah. and go to these clubs and then as I don't know one day everything was at the bar. Everything just stopped because yeah. what, it, what it what it became is a, uh, it was like a, a geography game or demographics game. So it's like all right, most of the people no you know most of the the, the urban party goers live in the neighborhoods and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if I'm coming from like say 63rd and um in Lansdowne and I'm trying to go to a party downtown, I'm going to pass my local bar at 57th in Lansdowne. I'm going to pass uh, another bar probably around like or or if they got something going on at Tacy's, I'm going to pass that shit on a Friday night, 52nd and July. I'm going to pass uh, Jolly's West or whatever at 38th and uh, at 38th and um, Lancaster. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to pass something else before I even get to where I'm going. Yeah. So by the time I hit these four places and just pop in and say whatever, whatever, have a drink or two, blah, 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 the club is over. It is done. 
So eventually, yeah. people just realized that and said, yo, I'm not even telling people to come downtown. I'm just going to just tell them to come here. Like, you know, because, like, my, you know, my age group and stuff, we would go to, you know, the local bars and stuff to, like, pregame and shit. But our whole game was the downtown yeah, shit. Downtown, like, yeah. Delaware Ave, uh, Rittenhouse, stuff like that. Like, we never, like, really partied in the neighborhood like that. And that's something that just, you know, that that changed and transitioned. And I had to let go of that shit because I was just like, yo, if I want to make money, I need to be in the hood. Like, I didn't have, like, little corner bars and stuff that like you know was making five six thousand dollars a night at the yeah. door friday and saturday like going crazy like making ridiculous amounts of money and i'm just like oh yeah this is where it's at that bougie shit don't make no bread i gotta let half of y'all in for free i gotta pay for the hennessy promo to fucking get y'all here for free like i gotta pay this high-ass security tab even though ain't nothing gonna happen here the owner is so weird and they just want things to go how they want it to go and it's just like i might as well just be in the hood the bills is like non-existent it's like half of what I'm paying to be here mm. and I'm making three times the money. That shit is a no-brainer. Yeah. All right, so you did the Sean Kai interview and then I think at one point the credit conversation started booming. Yeah. Can you get into that? The credit conversation happened um just because that's what uh we was on at the time. Like 2013 coming into 2014 um no, 2012 going into 2013, that was, like, my worst financial year, like, of my life. Like, I literally, like, was broke, bankrupt, like, lost everything. Lost my apartment. Um, lost my apartment. My ex took my car. Uh, like, as broke as you could be, I was mm -hmm. in. Like, I was literally probably, like, $45,000, $50,000 in debt between credit cards and all this and all that. I had all these different charge-offs. Um, the car that my ex took eventually got repoed at one point. I had So the little bit of money I did have, I had to pay to get that shit back. Mm -hmm. uh, like, just a mess of a situation. Like, my life was literally in shambles. And, um, you know, through that time period... Um, I ended up going back to the workforce. I went and got a job. I went and worked for uh, for ADP, the payroll human resources company, whatever, doing corporate sales, which is what I was doing before I was doing parties full time. Because the bottom had basically fell out of the party game. And I was just like, yo, I got to do something. Because it was like as much money I was making, I was spending more. And then once the money slowed down, I was just cooked. Like I was killed. Right. And um, I probably had the end of uh, 2012, I had enough money to operate for about three months. Christmas came, wiped me out. I was done. So by the time February 1st came, I was kicked out of my apartment. Fucking constable came, put a lock on the door, the whole nine, down bad. Ended up going to go live with, like, a friend of mine, like, a homegirl that I was, like, half-ass dating, but half-ass, like, being friends with, whatever. Mm -hmm. She took me in, and I just started, like, basically, like, really took a hard look at myself and say, like, what did you do wrong? And I, and I had to take accountability for everything that I did wrong and all of the missteps that I had, and I built myself back up pretty much brick by brick. Um... I was still dipping and dabbing on parties, but I was just basically like, yo, this can't be, like, my only source of income. Like, I got to do something else. So I was just viewing the party shit like side income, went and got a job, the whole nine. And uh, I just built myself back up. And in the process, I got turned on to a company called Lexus and Law. And Lexus and Law basically allowed me, even though I had probably, like, 60-something uh, negative items on my credit, it started informing me about, you know, dormant versus um, – dormant versus active uh, negative items on your credit and stuff like that. So I started to get versed, well-versed in the language of, like, the credit industry. Mm -hmm. And it was basically self-taught. So I basically started to uh, scale, um, you know, get all these deletions off, whatever the case may be, and scale my credit again to where it's like, you know, my credit at the end of uh, 2014 was better than it had ever been at any point in my life. Um, 
And, you know, over time, I just picked up all these other, like, tricks of the trade. People like Bandman Kevo, uh, people like the points guy, and like, all these different people. Like, I was, like, literally just interested in the credit shit, and I turned Matt onto it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was telling him, he was like, wait, what? You could do this? this? Like, and just kind of, like, blew his mind to where it was like, yo, we need to talk about this shit on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, it started, you know, on the main feed, and then it became, like, a theme of the Patreon where it was like, you know, we would throw all this different credit-specific information at people, and people really loved it. So we just did more of it, like, more and more and more of it to the point where it's like, I just had somebody the other day hit me and was like, yo, I got, like, 65000 in credit from, like, listening to y'all. Uh, my wife just got a $25,000 credit card. My mom got $18,000 credit card from, like, listening to y'all and taking the steps and stuff that, you know, that y'all gave us on y'all Patreon and on y'all main feed shows and stuff like that. And the main thing is just, like, you know, when it comes to anything, you can't cheat the work part of it. Like, yeah, you got you gotta, to you gotta take a genuine interest in stuff and educate yourself because it's like I could tell you to do something all day, but it's like if you skip any step in the process, you're not going to get the same result that I got. Right. But our biggest thing with, you know, sharing this credit information and all of that, which is basically like, yo, this is what we're doing. Like, we're talking like on a one-to-one level. Like, it's not no pie in the sky shit. Like, this is what we did. Um, so if y'all follow these steps and follow all of them, because, you know, niggas like to cut corners. If y'all follow these steps and really follow all of them, these are the type of things that you can open yourself up for. And, you know, it's been a real resource for people. And like y'all said, like, y'all don't have a problem with paying the money every month. We got a lot of people that's like that, that been on Patreon from day one mm-hmm. because it's a resource for them. So where it's like, all right, if you pay me $20 a month for Patreon, that's $240 a year, but you get a credit card that's $10,000, did, did you pay me anything? Or did you gain something? Gained everything. You gained everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You 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 gained the world for a nominal fee. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, again, like we don't give people like pie in the sky bullshit. We don't tell people stuff that's just like, oh, well, I think like, no, we're just telling people stuff that's like tried and true that we've done and researched and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, once you become a, um, like an advocate and a resource for people and really start helping people and giving people a lot of information, the sky is the limit from there. Because now, you know, once you help people, they feel like they got to give something back to you. Exactly. Um, someone with messed up credit, like low credit score, like, or no credit at all. Yeah. Can you give like the first few steps? Absolutely. The first thing is, is you want to sweep your credit. So, um, so you got sweeping, then you got uh, scaling. So the first thing you want to do is sweep. So if you basically down bad, if you like me, like I was in 2013, you got mm-hmm. 67 negatives between your three credit reports. You want to try to get pretty much everything off your credit that you can. Mm-hmm. So the conversation around active versus dormant credit items is like this. Some stuff is is dormant, meaning like there's no collection activity on it. And all you got to do is just dispute it and it instantly comes off. Because the company might that picked up the picked up that credit item might have went out of business. It might be too long as far as statute of limitations goes for them to try to pursue it and collect it, mm-hmm. or they might just not care. They already wrote it off on their taxes. They don't give a shit. Like they're not pursuing you for this money no more. So basically, what you got to do is indiscriminately dispute everything, even if it's legitimate. Even if you know you took the credit card, went to the mall, busted up, didn't pay it. Just dispute it indiscriminately. You got no better than a 50%, no, no worse than a 50% chance that this shit going to come off. Some items is 80%, but you don't know until you dispute the shit. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you want to opt out of these third-party reporting sites. There is so much money in data collection and data storing to the point where the credit bureaus don't even store and collect data. 
they go to companies like Lexus Nexus and Anovis and SageStream and uh, stuff like that to verify information as related to your credit report. So if you do what I just said and you and you dispute all this different stuff, but you're opted out from these third-party reporting sites, when they go to pull the information, there's nothing there's there nothing for them there. to pull. Yeah. So it's an automatic deletion. Okay. So it's like learning those little tricks and stuff like that is kind of like, you know, what uh, – was 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 able to help me and then Matt scale like our credit like exponentially in a short amount of time because it's like yo you start picking up on this information that is not readily available or people don't just automatically tell you yeah. so um so definitely you want to opt out so it's kind of in reverse so you want to opt out of those zones first and I'm gonna tell y'all exactly which which ones it is on air so I'm gonna give y'all some free uh jewels today free jewels by me, uh chat <laughs> <laughs> all right so. Um, so first things first. So if you if your credit is down bad, it's shot. First thing you want to do is you want to opt out of LexisNexis and Novus, SageStream, and CoreLogic. The first three you can do online. You just submit a form. It spits in a, in a couple days. It'll spit back, basically say that your request to opt out was was uh, was received. Whatever, whatever. CoreLogic is the only one you gotta uh, print the application. Uh, fill it out. It's like three questions. Fill it out. Send it back with a copy of your license and put your social security number on there. And then uh, I would send it certified mail. Anything you doing credit wise, I would send certified mail. And then also you don't sign nothing. Any type of disputes that you putting in as far as in writing, stuff like that, you don't sign shit. Because once you sign it, it becomes a contract. Mm -hmm. And you're basically being held to the standard of the legality of a contract. So if it don't go in your favor, they're going to basically say you signing this document is acknowledgement of the debt and they can pursue you for it. Uh, so you don't sign nothing okay. that you send into like a credit bureau as far as disputes and shit like that. So the first thing, opt out of those uh, those sites. Um, LexisNexis, Innovus, SageStream, and CoreLogic. Boom. So you want to opt out of those. Second thing is dispute everything indiscriminately. The third thing is once you start to see those deletions or whatever, um, you know, you want to see your credit rise. Mm -hmm. Some stuff is going to be 20 points. Some going to be 11 points. You want to like, you want to see your credit slowly start to rise or whatever the case may be. I mean, your ratios get better and you're going to see pre-approval offers and all of that. My advice to people is be patient. Like don't jump out the window and start applying for shit just because like, say if you had 10 negative items or whatever between three credit reports and now seven of them is off, wait till everything is off before you start applying for shit. Because even if something is old, you may get a denial just because of the presence of that, you know, of that negative item being mm -hmm. on your on your report. So you want to wait until you get everything off and then you can just like start applying for shit, whatever the case may be. Um, we are big advocates for credit unions on the whole. Um, Navy Federal being one of them. Um, if you was in the military, whatever, USAA is another one. They got fantastic rates as far as interest, insurance, and then also, um, like, they credit cards. Like, they give crazy limits. Navy mm -hmm. Federal and USAA. Like, Navy Federal, on average, you're talking about, like, somebody with average credit. You can get a non-$10,000 credit line easily. Like, oh, you work... You uh, got direct deposit set up, whatever, whatever. All right, cool. He'll go twelve. He'll go twelve five. Like shit, like that. Like mm -hmm. it's very easy. Um, once you in, they just want to see the money, the activity flowing like through the account. Same thing with USAA. Same thing with Alliant, a credit union based out of based out of Illinois. Uh, TrueMark now is starting on the business side. I don't want to jump the gun, but on the business side, TrueMark is starting to like loosen up their reins and stuff and start to lend a lot of money and all that. But it behooves them to do so now because. 
the interest rates have gone up. They're above prime. So now you see everybody want to give up money now. When the interest rates were subprime, didn't nobody really want to give out no bread like that. But now right. that they can capture more interest off of you, it's like, oh, yeah, cool. Come get a yeah, $50,000 line yeah. of credit. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, come on. 9%. <laughs> like, yeah. when it was just two and a half. Yeah. You know what Stuff like that. Um, so that's like my main, my main things is the opt-outs, dispute everything. Um, be patient, wait for them disputes to come back and then start to scale your credit. Um, I got a bunch of different like resources and stuff like that as far as like primaries and, um, primaries and, uh, authorized user accounts and stuff like that as far as like how you scale and establish your credit. Navy federal has something that's, um, basically called a pledge loan or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. where it's basically like a secured loan. You put your bread up. They take it from, um, say, your checking account, move it to your savings account, whatever, set up the trade line. Um, and the trick with this is, and we talked about this on our show, like the trick is, say, if it's $1,000, you want to pay 90% before the first payment is due. So that when it reports, it looks like you had, number one, a secure loan. You put your own money up. So you bet, you you did an asset-backed loan on yourself. So that's the first thing. Um, you put that bread up. Then you pay 90% of that bread back. The money's going to come immediately right back to you within two or three days. Like, once mm-hmm. you pay it, because it's your money, yeah. it's going to come back to you. So then you basically want to call Navy Federal back, set up the remaining uh, 11 payments or whatever, or however long you did the loan term for, sp- split up that remaining amount or whatever the case may be to where now you got a loan, you got a, a secured loan, you got something that um, – you set you set up and you already paid ninety percent of it and then you go back and then you smooth out the remaining uh balance that other hundred dollars or whatever you want to pay that over the remaining eleven months put it on auto payment you're gonna get an exponential bump in your credit like like thirty to fifty five points okay. like so it's like little little hacks and stuff like that and just understanding like you know even if you got good ass credit and your credit might be dormant. Getting a secure card for $2,000 or whatever the case may be. The whole thing of like you putting your money up to obtain credit is going to look better even than somebody issuing you credit as far as the credit bureaus and all of that go. Mm-hmm. So you want to get a rise in your, you know, your credit score, stuff like that. Like it's just so much, so many moving parts and just so much game that like kind of like go into it. But it's like it's really powerful. Like you can, you know, you can literally like – have a million dollars in credit as an individual, not even mm-hmm. as a business. Like over time, you can obtain a million, five hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand, a million dollars in credit as an individual. Yeah. Uh, can you explain the, the point system a little bit? So the point systems. All right. So you got you got points cards, you got cashback cards, um, and then you have like uh, like travel cards and stuff like that. So like with the point systems and stuff like that, um, a lot of times, like, so say like Capital One Venture Card, that's like a travel card or whatever the case may be. Um, you can use those points to cash in for cash as far as paying for pay, paying for uh, transactions, or you can use those points on tra- on Capital One's like travel site and all of that stuff. And typically what happens is they give you more points. Well, you have more buying power. Um, when you are using the points to cash in for like travel or hotels or whatever, then you do when you cash it in for cash mm-hmm. with these points cards and stuff. Then you have other cards that's just straight like cash cards. Um, so like, um, there's the, uh, city double cash card right now that a lot of people are getting to where basically it's like, you know, you get 2% across the board and then on other certain segments. So like, uh, gas, uh, so like gas, uh, supermarket stuff like that, you might get an additional two to four percent 
in addition to the 2% across the board, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you got the Discover It card, which basically gives you double cash, where it's like, you know, you get anywhere between 3 to 7% um, cash back on all these different segments. And then at the end of the year, whatever you, the end of your, uh, your calendar year for how long you had the card on your anniversary, they cut you a check matching all the cash back that you also got throughout the space of the year. Mm. So it's like different stuff like that. But um, the biggest like point stuff is usually uh, like the chase, uh, the chase uh, trifecta cards, like the Sapphires and all of that. And then like a lot of the Amexes are like the biggest uh, points cards. But a lot of time with these points cards, they have uh, implications where you can migrate points through different platforms. Like Matt just gave the example that he took his 200 something thousand Amex points, migrated them to British Airways and then used that to upgrade to the Q suites on Qatar airlines. So it's like stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you got, uh, like the Marriott Bonvoy card through, uh, through Amex, you get like an 80,000, uh, point, uh, Welcome uh, offer, whatever the case may be. That 80,000 points is good for any five-star hotel in the Marriott Network in the whole world. So it's like if you had that 80,000 and then say if you refer a bunch of people and you got 20,000 per person, whatever, you might end up with 160,000 points. So now that's two nights at like a five-star hotel Mm -hmm. that falls under the Marriott banner, which is like... The Ritz Carlton, you know what I'm saying? Uh, some of the du- the W's, like different stuff like that. So it's 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 a lot of information, a lot of uh, minutia, but it really just depends on and comes down to what exactly are you trying to do? Like, do you want to leverage your credit card points and these welcome offers and all of that um, in order to travel? Do you want to you know be in a position to get you know cash back? I was for a long time I was a cash back boy. All my car, I'm like, oh, just give me the cash back. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? And then now I'm like slowly transitioning because I see the power of these points and these affiliate systems and all of that to where now I'm like, you know, becoming more of like a points person to where it's just like, yo, if I can travel for free or damn near free as much as I travel, why not? As opposed to just like constantly, oh, take the cash, take the cash, take the mm-hmm. cash. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So That makes sense. Yeah. So do you think it's more important since you uh, experienced being broke, is it more important to learn how to um, save money or to build credit? What would you say? They go hand in hand. Hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So, um, the first thing I tell people um, when they're trying to, like, get their life together is you should be comfortable to live below your means for one to three years. If you down to live below your means for one to three years, you can get so far ahead financially, it don't make no sense. So say if you could, what most of us do is if we could afford $2,000 a month rent, we go pay $2,000 a month rent. In reality, what you should do is you should go pay 1400 a month rent downsize, sell some of this bullshit that you got that you don't look at or don't need all this junk sneakers and all this bullshit, sell off some of your stuff, take that $600 a month that you would have paid for that $2,000 and save it. Mm. So you take $600 a month and you save it for uh, a year, that's $7,200. For two years, that's fourteen four. For three years, that's... Tw- so now you look up and you basically are paying yourself. The biggest mistake that most people make when it comes to finances is they pay everybody but they self. Mm-hmm. They get paid, they pay rent, they pay water bill, um, they fucking uh, trick off, <laughs> go buy some sneaks. Like mm. They do everything but put money away for themselves. Like I, I, I listen to people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone that are like, yo, if you're not able to live off of 
of your net income, you have too much bills. You have too many expenses. You should be in a position where you're saving, they say 40% of your net income. So that means like if you make $1,000 a week, you should be saving $400 a week. Mm. So that's like even more aggressive than what I said. I'm saying save 600 a month. Yeah. They saying save 400 a week and for two, three, four years, don't do shit. Eat ramen, cook, yeah. like, you know live what I'm saying? A, live and below your live means. Live below your means yeah. and stack your bread and store money with the intention of busting a move, mm-hmm. whether it be acquiring a piece of, uh, uh, you know, of commercial real estate or whatever the case may be, investing in a business, whatever. Because one of the main principles that they talk about when it comes to wealth building is that rich people don't have savings accounts. It's not a thing. Like, they take their money and they invest it in ideas and people and, and, and businesses and shit like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now, I wouldn't advise nobody to buy no stock right now. Yeah, um, that's, but, my shit is fucked up right yeah, now. Yeah, oh, my shit is bad. Yeah, I probably got about 15, 16,000 in the stock market. My shit is 5,900 as of yesterday. Like, I can't even look at that shit. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, you know, but the, the upper crust of society, the rich and successful people, they do not save money they store money with the intention of doing something with that money yeah. later on down the line they have yeah. a plan for the money they're not just indiscriminately just saving the money for no reason or no end game yeah. i tell people all the time on social media save your money now or to save you later yeah for sure all right so after the credit boom i think that's when y'all interviewed chris Gotti. yes and i listened to that shit at least 10 times because it was so much Information within that interview that I did not know about. Yeah. Chris Gotti. Huh? Chris Gotti and uh, Murder Inc. Yeah, like, so can, can you get into that, how you uh, came along with that and how you met him? Uh, we connected with Chris Gotti through, uh, we have a TV arm, um, NGTV, uh, my homegirl, uh, Vicky Victoria Paulin. Um, she's actually trying to put something big together for us now um, for one of our live shows and stuff. But uh, she's just one of them people that just, you know, always end up in the right rooms and people just fall in love with her. Okay. And, um, you know, her and Gotti like this, they got super tight. Um, he was renting some space from her. He had, a, he had an office for his company, ADD Ventures, in Philly for a while because there's so much talent in Philly. So he was... Was renting his space from her or whatever so just in seeing her or whatever they built a bond and a relationship and shit and um to the point where you know as you know vicky's a person like me she saves her favors so where it's like she waited to to you know to, to to come with one of her favors and you know and he was like he was like yeah absolutely no problem and it came about like it wasn't even like no heavy lifting no back and forth it was basically like on a thursday it was like yo can y'all come to new york on monday yeah sure why oh chris Gotti uh gonna do an interview for y'all you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And we went up there, did the interview. Um, you know, I, I I know their story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, Murder Inc., uh, you know, for all of their their the negative nonsense and all that shit, negative connotation and the fifty cent beef and all that, they're still part of like American music royalty. Yeah. Like they scaled a you know, a hundred million dollar company. Like that shit not easy to do. Mm-hmm. You got multiple artists that, you know, Charted and went number one multiple times. Ja Rule, Ashanti, Lloyd, uh, you know, Irv and Ja was, you know, was was getting, you know, $300,000 each to do songs for people like J-Lo and shit like that. Like, these motherfuckers were killing it. Like, really, yeah. really going crazy. So, you know, I know their story in detail. So, it was, like, easy. And then preparing, yeah. like, I started, you know, watching old interviews and coming up with, with other information and stuff like that. And um, I think that's probably the best interview we've done. 
yeah, or TRPE to date. And um, like you said, there's just so much information. And he was even like at a point where the people that seen the area was like, how you know that? Like, mm. like stuff like that. And it's just like, yo, like I, I just know. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like I'm a person that's like self-educated in the music industry for the last, you know, 25, 28 years. Like I know everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I made it my point to know yeah. all of this shit because like little did I know I was grooming myself for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. you know, being a podcaster, being in media and all of that and, you know, being able to pull for certain information off of memory is dope because there's a there's a period of life that in hip hop in particular that doesn't exist on the internet at all yeah. that shit is just gone yeah. it's not on the internet like that transition from CD to digital and all that like that Webby Trill ENT era and yeah. a lot of them them big mixtapes like them yeah that, that Piff Envy, era was is them, not them this DJ Envy uh, Lenny S mixtapes and all that the mm. Empire that shit is not on the internet like mm. that shit goes from like uh, the super early shit they got on there and then it jumps to like the Lil Wayne era but there's like a whole era in between that's just Mm. gone like wiped from the internet you know what i'm saying so mm. it's like but i lived a lot of this shit like i you know i bought the cocaine city dvds the smack dvds and all that so it's like i be knowing this shit you mm. know what i'm saying so you get in the room with somebody that's like you know that's a legend like chris Gotti. like i'm just pulling from you know what i already know yeah all right so fast forward now y'all go into your interview run yeah with tour miss tasties uh, who's the from uncut. yeah, Ron from Uncut? Um, I think a lot of people felt like after that, y'all got y'all going somewhere else after this. Right, right. It's somewhere y'all going. <laughs> um, can you explain that? Like, what started? What kicked off that? Um, interview basically, tour? what it was is it's like you know in um in probably like the begin the end of 2019 we made a determination like as a company and as a show we just want to focus on the people that's here already like who's already like in our network so instead of like reaching for all of these like national people and getting rejected or people not hitting us back or whatever the case may be let's like who's already in our network that got like dope stories and great personalities and like stuff like that like and got a story to tell mm -hmm. so we did our interview run last year where we interviewed like Omar Tate, which was like the Esquire chef of the year. We interviewed Black Poppy. Uh, we interviewed Bang Bang, which was a phenomenal interview because he's just like a student of the game and know a lot mm -hmm. of shit. We had the Sean Cotton interview, stuff like that. But people didn't really connect with those interviews because it was almost like too interviewee, like as opposed to like a conversation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we made the determination when we did this run of interviews as a site, it should look and feel different. Like, it shouldn't be, like, those interviews where it's just, like, point, counterpoint. I ask a question, they answer a question. I, like, it shouldn't be like that. Mm -hmm. Like, in the whole, the, the sign of a good interview is when you get the, the person, the subject of the interview to start asking you questions and, like, well, what do you think? And yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. That's how you know you got a good interview. Yeah. So, like, out of all them Jones we did in 2021, Sean Cotton was by far the best one because it just turned into a conversation. Mm -hmm. All them other Jones was cool, but it just was, like, it was just us, like, probing and just asking questions. But these recent interviews, these are like my friends. These yeah. are my family, people I, I know I got intimate relations with. And it came out in the interviews. And, um, you know, these people got phenomenal stories to tell. And we got so many, like, you know, local heroes. And there's like a black renaissance going on right now in the Philadelphia market. And people need to have their stories highlighted. Like, nobody's talking about the fact that, like, you know, DJ A Boogie is not only just a market influencer for Hennessy, but now Moet also. He fucking curated all-star weekend for Hennessy with DJ Steph Floss in Cleveland. 
Like they did the fucking. He came up with the idea to do the uh, Hennessy Suites and all of that at the fucking uh, at the Sixers Arena and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like people need to notice because right. like they just see it as a thing, but it's not like where they know where it came from. They looking at it like it's some brand initiative when in reality. One of our people came up with this, mm-hmm. and the brand accepted it and took it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like people are doing dope, innovative shit, and their stories needed to be highlighted. Like, you know, Barbara is a magnetic personality. Like, Yeah, that was a good one. And, and, and you know, she came on there and really just let it all hang out and just, like, and just popped her shit. And I think it connected with people because of the fact that it's just like – you don't really hear a lot of women talk like that. Yeah. Barb genuine as shit. Yeah. I don't even know her. Just, yeah. just from that interview, I could tell she, she real genuine. Yeah, so it's like, she, you don't really hear a lot of women talk like that and be honest and tell their stories and their shortcomings because when you go to these boss babe brunches and these women empowerment seminars and all that, they're not telling you about the, the dope boy that gave him 50000 yeah. to start. They ain't telling you they fucking been saying this and shit like that. They're yeah. not telling you that yeah. shit. They're not telling you that they was doing credit card scams and the whole police mm-hmm. district was pulling up. They, they shrouding all of that yeah. in like, like, oh, that ain't, what, what you talking about? Who went to jail? Yeah. Like, you, you went to jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got your mug shot. All uh-huh. seven of them. Like, but she just came on there and was just authentically her and just, you know, and just mm-hmm. let it all hang out. And I think so many people, but women in particular, appreciated that because we don't interview a lot of women on TRPE, not to no fault of our own. We try all the time. But a lot of times what happens is these women come on our show and me and Matt personalities are so big, they kind of get drowned out. Yeah. Um, but Barb was just as soon as we cracked the mics and she just I was like, oh yeah I don't gotta do nothing. All right, you just let her rock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> I don't gotta do shit. I just gotta just lead her where to go. Uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. Get out she of gonna way. take you there. Yeah. Um. So now we at the point where y'all boom and y'all pop man. Um. Y'all just got recognized by Hennessy, right? Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah. We uh we had a Hennessy dinner um last well two weeks ago whatever um at the Prime Rib in Philly um shout out to DJ A Boogie and shout out to um you know the higher ups at Hennessy because they yeah. had to approve that. But basically, you know they do these these Hennessy dinners in various markets and with various people. But like on a on a indie level, as far as like Philly goes, uh us dope shows. Um, and Miles Bridges are the only ones to be recognized mm-hmm. by Hennessy. Um, and it was basically like for, you know, our, our forays in the media, sustained greatness, having a company that's, you know, five years in business and all of that. Um, and it was, it felt good to be recognized because it's like, you know, a lot of times when you're doing stuff, you don't necessarily think that people are paying attention the way that they are. And, you know, just in the midst of that week, like we had the Hennessy dinner, then we had the night market, then we had the DC show like immediately after. And like, I'm at the night market and like, I'm running into people like I haven't seen in like 10 years and they're like, Oh damn. That's crazy. I just was listening to y'all show, like mm-hmm. stuff like that, to where it's like you literally don't know who's on the other end of you know these messages and these shows mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and you know, for Hennessy to basically recognize us and basically say, like, nah, like y'all ain't the biggest show, but the work that y'all doing is cutting through and it matters. Yeah. And you know, well they de- gave well us deserved. our props. Well deserved. Thank you, man. Thank you. But no, that that, that was dope. I didn't know that they was gonna do the engraved bottles mm-hmm. and the, the plaques and all that. I had no idea it was gonna be like all of that. Uh, but no, they 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 came with it for us. They they really went in. That's good shit. Congratulations, mm-hmm. man. Thank you. Congratulations. Um. So we got some questions for you, uh, man, man. I think you said you had a question about Kendrick. Oh yeah, I want to get pain about that Kendrick album, man. Uh, I was listening to Kendrick album on the way over here. Um, and the songs that I love, I absolutely love. The songs that I hate, I'm just like. 
Why? Like, what song? We Cry Together. I think he's going to say It's too one. much sometimes. It's too much. Yeah. Uh, Auntie Dyer is very triggering, um, and he he and conceptually and creative create creative wise, he's doing some dope ass shit. But the problem is he's turning into Marshall. He's turning into Eminem, mm. where it's like he's doing these he's doing the greatest rapping you ever heard, but nobody cares. Yeah, and he's doing himself a disservice because it's almost like you know what your audience wants from you. You know that your audience wants to see like that elevation into like that Drake. And then, like, the occasional J. Cole space mm. where niggas just pop they shit. Like, yeah. you rich as a motherfucker. You're accomplished as shit. You've won every award. You won a Pulitzer for damn. Like, you've won every grant. Like, there's no more to be accomplished on this, like, critical acclaim tour thing that you do. Just talk some shit yeah. for one album. I, that's what I wanted. I just, because, like I said, it's been five years, bro. Drag your fucking nuts on these fucking Please. beats and, and make it listenable. And my problem with him is he tricked us into thinking he was going to do that with the Baby Keem records. Like, exactly. When exactly. you come out and say I'm smoking on your top five, and that, like that makes us think yeah. that when yeah. we get the album, it's going to be, be some, some shit. It's going to be boot the ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's not boot the ass. It's just songs. Yeah. This is like, bro, like. <laughs> you want to talk, like, talk some shit? Like, I want you to. Um, like he said, you smoking your top five, bro. I want you to t- like let motherfuckers know who's, I'm that. Who's, who's like, your top five? Who's who's our top five? Like motherfucker, uh, what's what is what is they be saying? You the you the boogeyman. Like come out and beat it. But you sitting here talking about bro, um, like the incident, blah blah blah. And we gonna talk about my life's uh, passions and my yeah, hardships. Man and like, right. I don't want to hear that shit. These heavy ass conceptual records that are dope and that that metacritic that metacritic variety. Pitchfork audience mm. eats that shit up, but you can tell like how often now do we see an artist's sales projections come out and then they sell less? Yeah, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So when you right. come out and they tell tell us we you want to sell three twenty five to three fifty, and you sell two eighty six. It's mm. like, oh, you fucked up. Mm. You yeah. fucked up. So it's like you got the first two three days of streams, and then people heard that shit and was like, this has no replay value, and they didn't go back to it, and then and that's what happened. I haven't listened to this shit since last Saturday. I, li- I literally listened to it on the way over here. Now, I will give him props for the songs that I do like. Uh, time. R- Rich Spirit is crazy. I like N95 a lot, too. Even though he's doing the Kendrick Marshall Mathers mm-hmm. shit, I like N95 a lot. Uh, Count Me Out is fire, too. What's the joint Baby King? Uh, Savior. See, I love that joint. Savior is fire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh... I like Father Tom. Even though it's a heavy record, I like Father Tom too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> nah, you like Silent Hill? I, Silent Hill good too, though, y'all. That's the one with uh, Kodak. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't care. <sighs> it was, it was, it was meh to me. Really? I didn't. I saw it on every day. Rich Spirit is my favorite. I, 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 that's I, my shit. I, I yeah, wake up shit. every day and listen that's to Rich Spirit. That's my. Yeah, exactly. And then my thing is like also like you see your competition they. To me, they blowing you off the water, bro. Like J Cole last few songs, huh? J Cole last few songs was fucking niggas over. His L A leakers freestyle, bro. Like this Aaron that shit. This dirty nigga is the greatest rapper alive. Like he has (laughs) moments. I'm like this dirty 
Drop a filthy Bentley nigga. Uh-huh. Is the best rapper. <laughs> <laughs> but bro, we had this talk though, like how you was taking Kendrick's side and I was taking Cole's side. Like I told you, like that's why I fuck with him a little more. Like, cause he he got those. He can still relate to the culture, whereas Kendrick he go all the way left, like all the way left. But you ain't gotta do that, bro. Like we know we know who you are. Just just but get on there. And just, that's that shit. Like he's been solely doing it the last couple albums though. Huh? Like Dan was like that. But Dan was well rounded. Yeah, but Dan was well rounded because he had you had records like Loyalty with Rihanna, you had DNA and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You had Be Humble, like you had these records where it's like he popping his shit on yeah. some of them Jones. Where it's like you would think at this point where it's like you're rich as a motherfucker. I know Columbia gave you a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. I know for Baby Keem and your next album. I know they gave you a hundred million dollars. It's not even no thought process. I don't spend shit. You don't spend shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga work flip flops everywhere, like me. In that T-shirt, <laughs> like that. Like. You went to Ghana to celebrate your album, uh, playing soccer with the with the natives. You no, know what I'm saying? No which bottles, is, no Which bitches. is commendable. Like, which is commendable. Yeah, but on definitely. the same token, it's just like he will not do nothing. Like, as far as like the hip hop ethos of like street culture and jewelry, yeah. and he won't do it. He I refuses. Don't, yeah, I don't get it. I don't see nothing wrong with that. I mean, oh, it's, it's, but it's to his own detriment, though, because your fanfare is waning. You did six fifty five last album. You did two eighty six this album. I mean, People are becoming disinterested. That is a big difference. That's that a is, huge. That is a, that's, that's a huge that's difference. Forty five percent. But when I look at his albums, like it's like he's been solely going to this. Every album got a little bit more conscience. Like Pimp Butterfly was way more conscious than. But then he came back with Dan. Yeah, Dan was like, Dan did bounce. It was a perfect balance. It was a perfect balance, and he won every award. Mm -hmm. So it's like you know when you got a big single and you balance it out and you give us something that we can latch on to. You sell Drake. You do Drake numbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you do this other shit, you you, you, Future (laughs) almost outsold you. Yeah. Paying out something. Future did like two thirty. Ugh. That future shit hard. Yeah. That shit hard. And future shit. Future shit hard. And I think in the long run, because future shit so hard in the way that he did it, as far as like releasing deluxe within the first week and all of that to boost mm-hmm. the sales, it's gonna carry him to where he's just gonna yeah. he gonna go double triple platinum off this album over a time period. And it's just like he just sold his most records he ever sold first week. He's like fifteen albums in and he's peaking. Right. Kendrick is five albums in. And he's so declining. He's declining. And it's to his own detriment. And we know he could wake up tomorrow and give us the greatest rap album ever. So it's not a thing of ability. He's intentionally not doing, not doing it. He refuses to give us what we want. It's like he's trolling us. So, yeah. man, man, uh, you still rocking with this joint? Like, I play shit every day. How? <laughs> I play shit every day, y'all. I love that fucking album, y'all. I, I like, like all the way through. Uh, I rock with it. Nah, not all the way through. I will admit. I, I, do, I got my I do picks. skips and Johns. Nah, I like conscious hip hop. After a while, I get tired of the the same subject matters every time. Um, I like car music, like chill car music sometimes. Yeah. Like, like bro, when we was driving here, you was blowing my shit. Like, <laughs> what was I playing? You was playing some like ESTG not in the morning, bro. Like it's, it's too early. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to wait. I'm, I'm trying to wait this up, nigga. I'm off, bro. Like, no, I need some R and B or something like, or some old rap or some just some, some let, chill let, shit. Let me ask y'all this: Pusher's album or Kendrick's album? Pusher, by mall, by a lot, by a mall, by a lot. Replay value is probably it's probably Pusher. I ain't gonna lie. And that's probably honestly the guy. I think that's some of Pusher's best rapping. Yeah. Dreaming of the past, rock and roll. Um, I hate smoking the, shine the coop, but every other song I like. I got a question. Between that album or the or, they, or Daytona? 
I think this album um, is better. You think so? I think it has more highs to it. And it's just like, you can't put out an album that's like 22 minutes long and then tell me it's an album. It's not a fucking album, though. <laughs> yeah, seven songs on the album. It's not an album. Yeah. That's an EP. It's an EP. Yeah. It's like, y'all playing games. Like, it was seven tracks of fire, though. No, it was it was fire. Yeah, it was, but, but still. But I think the highs are higher on this one. On album, this one? Okay. On this one. And, um, like, the Brambleton record. Uh, the main takeaway that I had, and we talked about this on our show, is that Kanye's production... Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. To the yeah. point where it's like, I don't even care about the songs for Pharrell produced. Pusha's rapping is great on all the songs. Mm-hmm. But like Kanye production is getting Pharrell the fuck out of here. I played Dreaming of a Pair just for the beat. It's amazing. Like mm-hmm. like hit like Kanye is God tier. Like yeah, you fucking crazy, but it's yeah, Dr. Dre it's and it's Kanye. Yeah. And then we could argue for third or whatever, but it's Dr. Dre and then it's Yeah, Kanye. them too. Yeah. But um <laughs> Yeah, I'm not fucking with the Kendrick shit anymore. Yo, like, I, they, I love that shit, though. My thing with Pusha John is, is is that when I hear his album, I go back to Daytona. Yeah, I do. Every too. time. Every time. Because like, that's just better than me. Like You like Daytona album. better? Yeah. Okay. I fucking yeah. love Daytona. Uh, I think he gave us a little more commercial appeal on this album. Yeah. Um, and I think he elevated from like coke rap to like snob rap like on this album. Yeah, just, and I yeah. like the fact that it's like it's not so much like hard drug references because you're 50. Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah, yeah. at some point, like you 50, fucking your brother's like a pastor, Tony <laughs> told and went to jail. Right. Like yeah. at some point, you gotta, yeah. we got to evolve like and talk about some like other shit because if you still dealing drugs at this big age, you fit. Right, and that was my thing, yeah. That, uh, the Drake Definitely. and Drake Harlow joint, you think that was for push? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think at some point, um, they're gonna um they're gonna run into each other at some point. And I don't know how it's gonna go. But I do know that, you know, all them uh them them Somali and uh Nigerian niggas that run around with Drake, <laughs> they've been beating a lot of rappers up the last five years. Have and just yeah, and a lot of shit just been getting swept under the rug or not going to the media. But a lot of niggas got hands and feet put on them for playing with Drake. Um, mm-hmm. And I think at some point, I don't know how it's going to go, but they're going to bump into each other somewhere, and it's going to be a conversation. Uh, well, speaking of ass kickings, the uh, Freddie Gibbs shit. <laughs> I was going to get that. <laughs> Shout out to Freddie Gibbs. Yo, he got to chill, bro. He uh, he got to relax. Uh, allegedly, remember, I, I, threw, I said in the group text, I, I figured it was Benny who, who, who said yeah. the hit. Yeah, as soon as I seen it was in yeah. Buffalo, I said, yeah, Benny. What's that about? Because... I don't. I can't figure out why him and Benny is even beefing. It stemmed right. from some Twitter shit. It's, the, it's all Freddie Gibbs beefs are from some Twitter shit. From, from him trolling on Twitter. Yes, Freddie okay. Gibbs has taken the position that I'm a dope rapper, but nobody cares. Like as much as he bigs himself up and tells us I got the album of the year, nobody, nobody cares. gives a fuck. Yeah. Nobody gives a fuck. Even with the, even with the Grammy nomination, good. nobody it's gives a fuck. Good. I fuck with his. I like Benny. Can, I mean, uh, Freddie. Freddie can yeah. rap his ass off. And he's a magnetic personality. When every time I see him on screen as an actor, that yeah. thing is good as Definitely. shit. Yeah, I don't know sure. if y'all saw the show. I think it's called Down Bad on Peacock. Uh, he's bust, a, uh, bust down. Bust down. Bust down. He's the sure. fucking casino manager. This nigga's phenomenal. He's yeah. the funniest yeah. I told, nigga ever. I told you watch that, bro. bro. I gotta watch it. Oh, it's an easy watch. The episode's like twenty two minutes long. Okay, like uh, six Peacock. episodes. Okay. It's the best fucking funniest show I've seen in like two yeah, years. It's funniest shit. And he's carrying the show because he's so ridiculous playing this fucking casino manager. Remember, Mug called the. Uh, he said uh, he called the um, shorty. Uh, a, a, a di- she uh, she 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 a dyke, but she was pregnant. And he called he called he called he called her he called her, 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 her a deadbeat with titties. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> 
That's where that come from? Freddie Gibbs, super talented, great rapper, amazing actor, all of this shit, but he's taking the position that like I'm just gonna troll everybody on Twitter to the point where you wanted to beef with six nine. Harvin them almost murdered you. Like let's call it space. Harvin them almost murdered you in New York. You did the race. In fucking Brooklyn or wherever mm-hmm. the fuck you was, like niggas chased you down the street with uh, guns blazing. Yeah. Like, you almost died. That fast forward gives us the Jim Jones beef because yeah, Jim is harder than them. OG and they kicked your ass in prom one twelve. Beat you all over the stakes and all of that shit. Uh-huh. Again for your mouth. The Benny situation stems from. Benny got robbed and shot in Houston, right. and then Freddie Gibbs goes on Twitter and says, I said they "Shot to my shot Houston, my Houston yeah. niggas," and it's just like. Excuse me? But why do you, like why do you say that though? He's a nut ass nigga. So he, that's but, but like you forty five, nigga like relax. Like. I don't know why he got he got a weird mouthpiece, bro. He just got a weird mouthpiece. Cause he was beefing with Jeezy prior to all of this too. Like, yeah. And Jeezy put you on. Exactly. Like I guess. So <laughs> So fast forward, Vinny and So then you come to Buffalo. Yeah. There has to be some sort of level of discernment. Mm-hmm. Like black men gotta start operating with more discernment and less bravado, because you know you got problems in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. If don't nobody on the team know, none of your staff don't know your assistant, your Chinese assistant, whoever, mm-hmm. you know you got problems in Buffalo potentially. Yeah. Niggas' whole thing is <laughs> ain't nobody gonna do nothing, yeah. and then something happens to you, and then you gotta go back on Twitter and double down and be like twenty niggas. Yeah. All they did was pop the chain and black my eye. Yeah. They gotta come harder next time. They pulled to kill me, and it's just like the next person will really kill you. They smoke. might kill you. They might kill you. Gonna get smoked. I don't get it, man. Niggas will kill you for nothing. Uh. So when you telling them you got to kill me, it's like why? You asking for it? Why are you asking for that? Just make your money. Make your money. Have sex with your white women. Tour. And that's what I say, y'all. Live your up, life. Like... There's more money in rap now, even as an average run of the mill artist, mm-hmm. you can make millions. Freddie Gibbs don't sell even gold, but he doing a national tour of 30 cities. He's selling out a thousand tickets every night. That's bread. Yeah. That's a minimum at, uh, at 30 a ticket, $30,000 gate. So if operation costs, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you're getting 20 grand a night. Still. 30 cities, that's 600,000. You're making money. Knock it off. I don't understand why motherfuckers get into a, a space where they can make more money than ever. That he ever made in life. start... Doing gangster shit. That is not the plan. Once they rich, that is they not the gangster. Plan. I was just saying, bro. Rap, like, None when, when rap was fake, I bring that shit back because these this, this, <laughs> this new shit, it. these niggas is, is reckless as no, shit, bro. bro. I, I think rap was always real. It's just some people. I, but rap, like Matt said, nigga, rap is too real. Like niggas is getting smoked. Biggie and Pac got smoked. You got, that was in the 90s. You got forty rappers in jail right now. 40 mm-hmm. right now to the point where Yo Gotti just did the fucking billboard cover for CMG and 42 Doug, who's probably the second most important artist on that label. Mm-hmm. You ain't even yeah, here. Yeah, you yeah. in the feds. And he, did you know the bullshit that he pulled? He tried to tell the government he was a sovereign citizen no, I know and that their laws didn't apply to him. That's why he didn't turn himself in. Yeah. This nigga's a madman. Oh, he's a jackass. Yeah. He's a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> I got a world passport. Your laws in this land don't apply to me. Yeah. I'm worth eleven million dollars. I don't succumb to your laws, white man. And then before you before you got here, we was talking about we used to smoke little meat dumbass. He's an idiot. He's a jackass. You don't you don't use your celebrity to do crime. 
You get what I'm saying? Yeah. He's 21, 22 years old. You're a kid. You was in acting class for three years. You was filming BMF all last year, mm. and then the show was out. You didn't have time to be a criminal. And if you did, when was it? You didn't even know about your dad's cr- criminal past like that. Yeah. You found out later on in life once you became a teenager. Mm. Like, So at what point did you have time to do crime? And it's just like, so you want to work walk yourself into a fed case because you're trying to finesse a jeweler, a well-known, reputable jeweler at mm. that. Like, you want to try to finesse a jeweler like they're not going to serial number, purchase date, the ID card, like, yeah. so he went in there putting a down payment on a watch with a watch. Yeah, that's regular. That's, that's regular, regular shit. Yeah, the watch, the watch market is, is commoditized now. Okay. So, the, so regularly people use watches to attain other watches and stuff like that. My mm-hmm. thing with him is this: you got an eighty thousand dollar platinum Rolex. Cool, that's a great piece. You go take that to get, I guess, probably a two hundred and eighty thousand dollar Richard Mill. Right. Because of your celebrity, you're allowed to. Give this for that and walk out with a bill. If any of us do that, it's like, all right, well, where the two hundred grand? Mm, like, yeah. you don't even get the leave. So you don't abuse that privilege and bring unnecessary heat on yourself because you're trying to basically rob somebody. It's, it's a it's a literal it's literal theft. It's a theft of services and it's grand larceny. And then you got two counts of grand larceny because you took the larcenous item and then took it to another jeweler and traded it for another Richard Mill. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yes. So that proves, that establishes the intent of the larceny. Mm. So this is why they said, oh, no, we're charging him. Like, it's past just paying the money at this point. We're charging him. You're blatantly being an asshole because you know you didn't pay this man. You you straight burnt me. Like, yeah. And again, niggas always the last ones to know some shit. The federal threshold for... Prosecution is $100,000. If you beat somebody out of $100,000, it's federal, automatically. Then I know that. It's a fair case. Mm. You don't walk yourself into a fair case. When you have no prior arrest history, none of you going to go big on the first one. Mm. First one, <laughs> Grand Larson, <laughs> two counts. Mm. And now, now that you did that, don't at this point, no jewelers want to fuck you with you after this. You that trick one time. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody going to want to fuck with you after this. Nobody. Yeah. You're done. Everything is COD now. You're cooked. Uh-huh. I think is I, I don't get it. Like, you you had something crazy on your wrist already. Why well, trade? You traded it in for something it's, else. But it's the it's the FOMO shit, man. Fear of missing out. It's the keeping up crazy. with the Joneses. He's hanging around Lil Baby and Gunna and all these rappers and all of that shit, and he see what they got. But guess what? You ain't got their money. Exactly. And that's okay. Exactly. You want to come up? You getting your first consistent bread just now. 2021. Your own money, too, not your dad money. Not your dad money. You got a little baby been around. I booked a little baby in September of 2017. Mm. Little baby been around. Like, he five years in. Mm. That motherfucker is the part owner of Lids and Mitchell and Ness. He got different type of money. You can't. You might can't do what he do. You might got to stick with the platinum present. Yeah. That's a great piece. Even so, that, yeah, exactly. You you still up ahead of the you ahead of 80% of niggas in the hood. Yeah. But you, but it's the, and you, you, you trade it. A god tier watch for some plastic garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like them Richard Jones Mills trash. Garbage. Like they look like rug rug race watches. Yeah, they're not good watches. Mm. Like matter of fact, we was me and my homie, we was having a conversation about watches. They was talking about Roly Roly Roly. I was trying to put them on. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the Berlin Ross watches. Mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, this shit is better than whatever y'all yeah. think y'all about to get. The Bell and Ross BR05 is better than any entry level Rolex you can get. 
It's well, not better than the sport models, but it's yeah. better. Entry level you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like you could get a skeleton Bell and Ross for like nine thousand dollars. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You might could get it below. Re- that's the retail price. You might could get it below retail, depending on what marketplace you want. You run into a jeweler that got a few that want to. You know what I'm saying? Like we are just so brainwashed culturally that you gotta have certain shit or you're less than. Yeah. To the point where it's just like we're not even taking inventory and looking at the fact that there's so much other dope shit yeah. that exists out there and you ain't got to conform to what everybody else is doing. It's like a uniform at this point. And that's why I was saying, like, yeah. y'all only want the Roly because every rapper talk about Roly every you, fucking you get the Y'all only like Hennessy because every rapper told y'all to like Hennessy. That shit is disgusting. I'm trying to put you on some nah, shit I don't that. Like <laughs> but I'm trying to. <laughs> we got episodes on that. But I'm trying to tell, like, I'm trying to tell my man, like, yeah, bro. The, the VSOP and the XO is amazing. Yeah, but I'm trying to tell my man, like, bro, you can have a nice ass watch that nobody got exactly and be shitting on the niggas with the rollies. Like, why not? But every like, most of these niggas' rollies is from the 70s and 80s, they antiques. Nobody, for them, John. So, with the Bell and Ross, John, um, what you suggest. Cause I, I've been looking at them. So there's a Bell and Ross BR05. There's the Oris Pro Pilot. That's fire. They just mm-hmm. introduced it this year. Oris Pro Pilot is the best entry level watch you can get. It's uh, like forty three hundred dollars. It's thirty nine millimeters titanium. Uh, it's like brushed titanium, and they come with three different color faces. They got a gray face, a salmon face, and like a navy blue face. It's the best entry level watch in the world, and they got an open back on there. It's yeah. a skeleton on the back of it. Fucking best shit. There's also um, the Chapard Millie Migla collection, which okay. is basically their collaboration with uh, Pirelli and shit. So where it's like they got sport bands um, on them or whatever, but they got like the Chapard clasp and all of that. And you can get like a plain one. You can get a chrono version. You can get one that like mirrors the dash of the fucking Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. crazy ass watches. I mean, you get one for like 4300 4, five grand. Some of them 3800 Yeah, I seen you know the lowest I seen was like thirty six. I'm saying like it's plenty it's plenty of other product out there but motherfuckers are just so roly 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 yeah. roly automar protect it's just like no, yeah, no all of us ain't that's at a point right we all understood culturally that certain shit was for the upper crust and the top earning people in society mm. we've now been brainwashed to a point sure. where by seeing and listening to these rappers that you gotta like you gotta have a twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollar watch mm. it's like this doesn't even make any sense mm. like most people don't make enough money to acquire this shit how are you going to get it bro mm. and that'd be my point with shit like and that's what i always say like i make good money doing what i do and i can't afford the shit that y'all be affording right like it's somebody somebody i know and this nigga i know he can't afford this shit he had a uh had a patek on his wrist yeah, i'm like crazy. bro you don't got a car. Why do you have that? You don't got a car. <laughs> what do you do with that? Why do you have that? Even with a fake. Not one. even. I was about to say. Even y'all walking around protect. with fake watches for what? But no, even with a fake protect. What? Like, bro, you don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not making sense. Like, oh, this shit is baggers. That 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 fake watch shit, bro. That shit it's is ridiculous to me, bro. I don't understand that shit. I don't fake anything, bro. Like, my thing is if you. If you think you gotta get it fake, don't yeah, do not I'm, get it. Don't get it. I'm cool with going without. Like, yeah. like I just sat on here and told y'all I was dead. 2012 into 2013, I was dead broke. I didn't even get my legs up under me till September of 2014. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't even thinking about no fucking watches. Yeah. Like, that's the last thing I'm thinking about. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, I gotta man the hoes, man. They gonna see me with this watch. It's they like dumb this shit. Is nonsense. Don't like, make any sense. Situate yourself. <laughs> like you can attain these things, but your priorities gotta be in, gotta in be, order. Yeah. Like you gotta be willing to sacrifice, and that's the thing. Most people don't want to sacrifice to get the things that they want mm-hmm. and be able to have them and maintain them comfortably. I done seen plenty of niggas get a rollie, 
They grind, 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 save their money, stack their money, get their rollie. Six months later, selling a rollie. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like you can't afford to maintain this comfortably. Like you, t- all your extras that you should have been saving, you went and got a watch. Mm. So now when shit goes sour, first thing going to be to go is what? The watch. The watch. <laughs> this shit got to go back. I made 10000 They're going to give me 8200 I need my eighty two. So you can people are busting their ass and breaking their back to own shit that they can't even maintain and have comfortably. Or it's times when people, you know, they go to get shit thinking that it's, it's something they want when it's something they really don't even want, no. you know? Cause, people look, cause people will trick want. themselves into thinking that they want shit. I've done that shit. I've, 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 had, I've done that shit. I've had 10, 12 time. watches over my time, and it's like three weeks later, I'm like, I was dumb as shit. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, like, even with sneakers, you know how many sneakers I got. Yeah. I'll be grabbing sneakers, I'll be like, I've, I've, I got four sneakers in rotation out of like probably 50. Why am I? Why do I got this dimension? Like, I'm what? trying to teach myself now at 39 years old how to be a minimalist. Like, mm. because I have too much junk, yeah. too much shit, shit too is much stuff. Yeah. I'm opening. I just moved recently. I'm opening boxes. It's just like more sneakers. I'm like, this is stupid. Mm. Because at one point I scaled all the way down to like 25 pair of shoes, and now I'm back at like 80. I'm like, this is dumb. Mm. This is stupid. Yeah. That's one thing I uh, I commend Kaye on from the Drink Champs uh, interview. Bray said he lived out of his out of his bag, like, literally. Like, house. Really? He said yeah, he lived out of his bag, bro. He don't like he don't take nothing, no clothes. When he land, he make a phone call and they got clothes in the hotel room for him. Oh wow! Yeah, boxers, all of that, bro. He just his his, his bag and his headphones. That's all he traveled with and his iPhone. Minimal is all you needed. Yeah. You're a billionaire too. That's what do you need? Exactly. Um, uh, we got a few more. We got some time left. Um, I want to get into some cologne talk. Okay, uh, you owe me, you owe me a, a, a spring list, bro. I asked you about the spring no, list. We gonna put the spring list together. Right. I just want to say, bro, I got some baccarat three weeks ago. Is that baccarat is the best shit the now? Been on me. It's overwhelming um, because it's got so popular. Yeah, but in reality, it's like some shit gets ruined by the popularity. But in reality, baccarat is so good yeah. that it doesn't matter how popular it gets because it smells different on me than it do on you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's really that. Like yeah. it's really an amazing scent. Um, but as far as like that whole scent house, I fuck with uh, the Amorous Home. That's mm-hmm. the latest one. That's an X straight too. Um, the Amorous um, and the Grand Soir. The Grand Soir. The Grand Soir is, like, is crazy. The Grand Soir is crazy yeah. by itself, and you gotta. Grand Soir with the Baccarat. Mm. Or what you do is, because that shit can get expensive, you get the Baccarat body oil. It's a spray. Okay. And you mix that with the Grand Soir to where you're not just completely dicking your Baccarat mm-hmm. and mixing them or whatever. And it's it lays more. It's more subtle, whatever. Um, and it's not as overwhelming. But they have a body oil. It costs like $110 or whatever in a sprayer bottle. Okay. A square joint like the Baccarat. But it's body oil. You you layer that and then you hit the Grand Soir on top of it. Okay. Uh, Just for the sake of it, give us five spring scents. Uh. <sighs> Van Cleef and Arpels Moonlight Patchouli. Okay. Um, there's a few that I like from uh, Amouage. <clears throat> there's a few that I like from Amouage. Um, let's see which ones. Why are you looking at up? Um, man, man, you say you don't fuck with cologne like that, right? No, no, fuck with I'm just not informed of it. You're not informed of it? Because you were telling me, like, a lot of this shit. We're going to put you deep, bro. Yeah. Uh, the no, I'll I'm, see y'all. I know y'all should. The Amouage Reflection is another good one. Um, oh, I just got uh, 
Bond number nine, Nomad. Is that the blue one? Blue bottle, okay, gold yeah. with the gold yeah. emblems on it. Fire. Yeah. Fire. Okay, I'm gonna It's like that's like to me, that's like the only thing that's really kinda like up there with uh Baccarat. Okay. A lot of um not the Killian? <sighs> All right, so Killian is even more boutique than uh MFK, Mason Francis Kirchner. Yeah. Um but I find that their scents don't stick as well with me mm. as like the MFKs and like the Tom Fords and shit like that. Mm. Um, they don't really like. I don't know. I have a bunch of Killian, but I I, I don't even wear them. Yeah, like I don't even wear that them. Black Phantom. Like I get the most compliments off the the Black Phantom and the Tom Ford Lost Cherry. Oh, the Tom Ford Lost Cherry is crazy. Duh. If you know everybody's palette is different. But if if you can swing it and you don't mind sweeter scents, the uh the I think it's called bitter peach or something. That's the orange one, yeah. Stupid. I ain't get to that one yet. It's crazy. It's leaning more, you know, they all unisex, but yeah. it's leaning more feminine, but that joint is crazy. My my girl wear that joint. I'm kinda scared because like Lost Cherry smells Lost Cherry, you th- think you would think that as a man you wouldn't like it. Yeah. But when it settles well, yeah, it, and it sits, yeah. Crazy. I love it. Like that crazy. that um there's another uh there's another uh Tom Ford that just dropped, uh Rose Diamalfi. It's like it leaning it's leaning more uh feminine, but that joint is fire too. So that's like a good one for like a for for a woman. I gotta look it up. But yeah, that um Tom Ford Lost Tree shit, oh my god. I like the most um, compliment. This is more like a winter scent, but the Tom Ford tobacco vanille. Oh no, for I hate that joint, bro. No, not not tobacco, uh vanille fatale. Vanille fatale. Beneath a top. It's like hard. It's, like, it's a straight winter set. It's heavy. But that, um, like them musky ass colognes. I can't fuck with them at all. I hate oods. For real? Yeah. I fuck with oods. Somebody, somebody told me, though, they said what it is is you, you have eastern oods and western oods. The western oods are doused in alcohol. Mm, so okay. a lot of those, like, cheaper oods and all that shit, yeah. they're, um, they're western oods or whatever. But the ones that come from the east, they smell a lot better. Okay. Like the Tom, uh, the the Bond Number Nine Nomad has uh, oud in it, but it's like oud, uh, patchouli, and like something else or whatever. To where it's like it ain't overwhelming, and it's an Eastern oud. Okay. Uh, two more, two more Spring Jones. Um. Oh, uh, I can give you all this one. This is what I've been wearing pretty much every day uh, lately. Uh, Clive Christian uh, Crab Apple Blossom. I have that. I have it. Heard about it. I have it. Banger. Five. Banger. Job. And uh, Clive Christian, <laughs> jump up and kiss me too. Jump up and kiss me. Is that the thousand dollar joint? Yeah, that's. Oh no, I can't <laughs> fuck with that. I'm gonna get with me, but I, no, no. And a classic Clive Christian, the rock, the rock, the rock rose still go crazy. Yeah, Clive Christian, rock rose, and you can get that joint cheap. You can get that for like guilt and stuff like that for like fifty to sixty percent off. Okay, all right. Um, I got something. Uh. How 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 um was it uh scaling up your uh turtle business? Uh and how was it going? It was going good until last week. Y'all about to say right, <laughs> yeah, you had that yeah. shit went left. So uh you know, all right, so with Toro, a lot of people are just, you know, misinformed or just don't have enough information about Toro to where they kind of make their own conclusions up. Mm. What's dope about Toro is that it's basically it's a peer-to-peer uh, network for people to, you know, to rent cars, people to place cars and people to rent cars or whatever the case may be. I got turned on to Toro because I was a Toro user. Like, I went to Houston, I rented a Jeep, I went to Cali, rented a car through Toro, stuff like that. So I was a Toro user. Um, 
And then, like, there started to be all these, like, symposiums about Torah mm. online and stuff like that. People talking about being Torah hosts and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then I got into it. So I got my, my Mercedes GT last January, January 2021. And in order to, like, cut some of the, you know, ownership costs of it, I would put it on Torah. But I put it at such a high price that it was just like, yo, if I rent this on two days a month, I'm paying my car note. That was like my whole thing. I rented two days a month. Somebody rented for a weekend. Or somebody rented for one day. And another fucker rented for one day. I break even break. on my on my cost of ownership or whatever. So um, that was what made me get into it. So I had, had the GT. I put it on there. Um, so from February to May of 2021, uh, I probably conservatively made probably about $4,000 off of the car on Toro. Mm-hmm. Profit? Uh, I guess profit, okay. yeah. Um, and then I also, uh, had like personal one-to-one rentals and stuff like that for like video shoots, artists, stuff like that. Uh, so I probably made another three grand or whatever off of that. So the first half of the year, I made $7,000 off of the car. Mm. Now, Toro, trust and safety, they take that shit very, very serious. So if your car has any type of open recalls, whatever, whatever, they'll flag it and they'll restrict your car. So I lost, I lost from the end of May to the beginning of September, I lost the whole summer because my car had an open recall on it. But all it was was a technology update, mm-hmm. but it read like an open recall. It was an over-the-air update, but I lost all this uh, you know, revenue, whatever the case may be. But I had already made enough money the first half of the year to where I had paid the note up, so I was cool through September. So the end of the year, for some reason, my business like just started booming like, mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Um a business started booming out of nowhere. Um, I had got another car, BMW X4. I put that on there. That started to get little rentals here and there, whatever, whatever. But the bins like just started getting booked for like a week, ten days, stuff like that. To where it ended up, you know, closing the year, and I probably made like another. So I said I already made four, probably like another ten mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Then starting off uh, 2022, it just kind of continued. Um, I had a bunch of uh, rentals for. Uh, the bins and I ended up hitting super host status. So once you hit super host status, now your listings pop to the top, all of that. So now just by hitting super host status on the bins, now all of my cars populate to the top, whatever. So now the BMW is getting rented a bunch and this is the second third. So two weeks ago, I had a renter. Uh, I signed up for this service called Toro Go, where basically the renter, they pre, they pose a pre-verify the person, make sure they're not a synthetic profile, whatever, whatever, and then they show up to the rental. I don't even have to be there. They show up, unlock the car with the app, get the keys, check in, and bounce. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's cool. The problem is they don't really vet the, the people. With people. <laughs> so somebody basically tried to steal my BMW. Yo. Mm. So the car kept getting extended. So that's the first red flag. Mm. Number one, why can't I call you? I'm telling you, yo, I'll extend the card. You need to call me. Mm. The person that's on there the, is di- quote unquote Diane Wall. Supposed to be like this seventy something year old white woman. This is clearly not. Who yeah, that's not who. That, yeah. Because just off of the simple fact of where they are and their travel patterns. So you're bouncing around between Newark, New Jersey, and Brooklyn, New York, and Queens for two weeks, yeah. all over. I'm just like, this is bad. So I had the, you know, I had the GPS on my car to my BMW app and the Toro Go shit. So I'm looking, I'm like, this went in poorly. So eventually me and the person talk. They say, all right, I, I say, yo, you got to bring the car back by Wednesday, three o'clock at the latest. I have other rentals, blah, blah, blah. All right, cool. No problem. Wednesday, two o'clock, this motherfucker's still in Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm just like, this shit about to go left. Mm. So now I got to go through the app, put in a late return. 
contact Toro Trust and Safety, let them know what's going on. They say, hey, we got to wait 24 hours before we can, like, upgrade this to, like, an investigation team, blah, 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 trying to find your car back. But it's good that you have the GPS on there because that will give us some location or whatever on where the car is. So that was that day. 24 hours come, investigator called me. He's from the area. He like, yeah, I'm from back east. I grew up in Lancaster. I just was in King of Prussia, blah, blah, blah. I'm taking this shit personal. We're going to find this asshole. <laughs> so he dispatches a, a repo team to mm. go and get my car back. We go to one location. The person was parked there for like two hours. We go to one location. They wasn't oh. there. They left. I'm like, fuck. So they're like, yo, the next time you see the car parked for an extended amount of time, I'm talking to the tow company, the mm. repo guys. Send me the location. We're going to go pull up and go get it. So they ended up parking the car, 404 Albemarle Road, which is in the Kensington section of Brooklyn. Mm. So Kensington is just bad everywhere. I'm right about to say that. It's just fucked up everywhere. So the car is sitting there from 128 in the morning. I'm just like, yo, at any given, like, I'm just like, at any given moment, this person can just get up, leave, boom. Because the tow company was just on bullshit. I'm just like, yo, these motherfuckers went home, went to sleep, mm. smoked a blunt. Like, they gonna get back up whenever they get up. Like, mm. they gonna miss this shit. Luckily, they ended up getting the car, FaceTime me, showed me the car. Of course, the car is damaged, which is part of the reason why it was extended. It kept extending the rental. They didn't want to bring the shit back. So mm. they were trying to buy time, I guess, to either get the car repair or whatever the hell they was trying to do. But uh, parking vi- two parking violations in the car that we know about, $115 each. Uh, cars damaged on the driver's side, uh, front bumper into the fender, driver's side door, two passenger side doors, like just a mess. It's like you just use my car like a go kart, and the car is out of oil. How? Out of oil? Oh, like driver yeah. from I think Jersey, they, uh, Brooklyn, yeah, that, completely that burned oil. My car was like five thousand miles to the next oil change, and now it's below a thousand miles to the next oil change. So basically, you drove my car like four thousand. miles. Oh, that's crazy. How in two weeks? In two fucking weeks, you driving two hundred miles a day. What the fuck was they doing? I have no idea. But the car is now at a tow facility in Ridgeway, New York, which is Queens. Mm. They're the guys that repoed the car. They're trying to get the job from Toro to bring the car here to mm. take it to Mainline BMW to get it repaired. But as of now, 11.58 a.m., my mm. car ain't moved. I've been checking it. That's crazy. So bro. my car is probably not coming back till Monday. Sunday or Monday. And, uh... So, yeah, but the good news is, mm. because this is my first claim with Toro and I'm an R-Star host, they waive my deductible. So the dope shit about Toro is that when you do profit sharing with them, at least uh, 70, 30, they don't uh, put it on your personal insurance if something happens to the car. You're, okay. they're, they're responsible. Mm. Either it's a combination of them or the renter. And when you go through the claims process, you can select who you want to pursue for the damages, Toro or the renter. Of course, I'm going to Toro. Yeah, because the runner's a jackass. The runner's yeah. a jackass. We don't yeah. even know if this is the real runner. All right. So we're going to go to Toro. So we go to Toro, go through the whole process. They waive my deductible, and they basically said, hey, we're going to compile an estimate off the initial photos, but we'll also talk to the body shop. You can send this car anywhere you want. So I'm mm. sending it to BMW mm. to get it repaired or whatever. I'm going to have some pre-existing little dumb shit on there. I'm going to get that fixed also under this claim. Yeah, might as well. And then I'm going to sell the fucking car and then start from scratch. But, okay. yeah, I'm selling my uh, – I had a Toro Runner this morning. Well, last night into this morning, I got to go pick up my GT, and then hopefully at some point my BMW comes back. But overall, like, it, it's been a good platform. You know, I, you know, until I started this Toro Go shit, I never had no problems. So okay. it's just like I got to just get back to just meeting people on every rental, which I was trying to avoid, but – 
you gotta show face and shake people's hands yeah. and let them know like I'm gonna bust your ass if you fuck my car. Because if not, then they just gonna go hog wild and just do whatever. Mm-hmm. The fucked up, the most fucked up part is I got paid out for their whole rental period minus two days, so I got like twenty one hundred dollars for mm-hmm. the time that they had the car. So that was cool. The problem is. I lost two subsequent rentals, one on Thursday and then one from sat from Saturday morning to Sunday night, which was a two day rental. I lost that because of all of the, the bullshit. All the bullshit. Yeah. All right, we uh almost run out of time. So I got one or two more questions. What do you uh what's your advice on new podcasts? Uh the biggest thing is uh is consistency and finding your voice. Um, you know, you kind of got to look at the landscape and not say you got to listen to every podcast, but you do have to take some form of interest in the industry at large and see, uh, you know, kind of where your show falls in the midst of what everybody else is doing Mm -hmm. and having like a unique voice or bringing something different to the table. That differentiation is going to set you apart and help people on board, you know, to your show. So the main thing is if you say you drop a show on Monday, you better have your show out every fucking Monday. Mm-hmm. You say you drop a show every other Monday, you better have your show out every other Monday. Mm-hmm. Because the people, humans are creatures of habit, and they're going to get married to the thought of when you release your show. Yeah. So you got to, that consistency piece has to be there. And then you got to have something to say, something interesting, be entertaining, funny, witty, educational information, whatever it is that mm-hmm. you're trying to get through, there should at least be 30, 40% of that in every single show. Okay. Uh, the future of podcasting in Philly. Uh, the future of podcasting is going to be uh, streaming the same way music streams. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to start compensating podcasters for every single stream of their show. And it's like Joe Budden raised this question uh, about two years ago when he was going through his beef with Spotify when they were separating, which is what is a stream worth? If a music stream of a, a two minute and 20 second song uh, if if 150 of those equals a sale and 1,500 uh, streams equals an album sale, what does a stream of a three-hour podcast equal? Mm-hmm. So we're gonna, I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to start earning mechanical royalties and all of that based on podcasting in addition to the, you know, click per, uh, click per, uh, view rate and all that shit for advertising and all that. I think we're going to start earning mechanical royalties on podcasts because it's too big of an industry and the biggest players in it are the biggest players in the world, Apple and Spotify. So they have the money to pay out in the same way that like music streaming got legislated against and all of that shit. Podcasting is going to be the same way. Okay. All right, man. I'm satisfied. What about y'all? I'm good. So yeah, I just think more, more money, more opportunity, um, you know, I think podcasting is going to come to the forefront. Pretty much every uh, major network is going to have some form of a podcasting arm. Look at HBO. They got a podcast that accompany all their main shows and mm-hmm. shit. Um, Fox Sports, all of their yeah. on-air personalities got podcasts. Like, I just think is you know, people just are craving in, for content, period. Yeah. And, um, you know, as the industry continues to evolve, there becomes more opportunity, more money in it. Um, I, I read a, statistic, a graphic that said by 2028, podcast industry is going to be like $97 billion. Oof. So not that long from now. It's 2022. Yeah. It's going to be 2023. So you're talking about five and a half years. You're talking about almost a $100 billion industry. So at that point, everybody's getting paid. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody that's in it now will be getting some form of mm. compensation uh, by then. Probably before then, but... Yeah. Just it's going to be more money opportunities for everybody. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this one up, man. Uh, Chad. Y'all, man. Thank you. When y'all uh, dropping this? Wednesday. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. Well, 
Yeah, Wednesday. All right, cool. Well, uh, uh, check check us out online, officialtrpe.com. That's our website. Um, our Patreon is patreon.com slash officialtrpe. Um, we... So when this drops corresponding, we're gonna have two remaining tour dates. One is gonna be June twelfth in Atlanta for anybody from uh from you know from the A that's listening. Mm-hmm. June twelfth in Atlanta, we got Trey Cheney from the Wire gonna be our special guest for the live show. Okay. And then uh June twenty sixth, we're gonna be in Brooklyn for our tour in there. We're working on something big for that. Uh we will have a guest of some sort. I'm not sure who yet, uh, but we're working on some things for uh Brooklyn and then once that gets um announced, them tickets pretty much gonna sell out on one day if we get who we're supposed to get. Uh so just be on the lookout for that, man. Y'all can get tour tickets. Tickets and any information about the pod at officialtrp.com. All right. Go support them. All right, Chad. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate yeah, y'all we'll having me. Holly, this was a yeah. dope episode, man. Thank y'all so much. All right. Thank, thank you. you man. All right. You just listened to the Sandbox Podcast. You can follow our official Twitter account. Sandbox Podcast 215 and Instagram at the Sandbox Podcast 215. Please don't forget to rate and follow the pod.